This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all sports radio station, 105.5 FM, WNSP, and on the Sound of Mobile app. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim, Lee Shervanian, and Michael Brauner. The opening kickoff. Here are Mark, Lee, and Michael. Hey, welcome back in. Another week of the opening kickoff. And, man, do we have some topics for you today. It was a wild weekend of football. And, ironically, your favorite college football team probably wasn't even playing. So we got a lot to get to in the NFL. A high school action for you. We will break it all down. And you guys can vent if, if that is... Uh, the emotion you were feeling today. 694-1055. Hit us up in the app, WNSP.com. We got a lot to get to. Yeah, we do, Mark. There were a lot of headlines over the weekend, things that we've set up today to talk about. Bronny James made his debut. Otani signs the richest contract ever, ever in any sport for an athlete. In the NFL yesterday, uh, Dallas whipped Philadelphia last night, a game that you could have heard on WNSP, and now they're at 10-3 and three and tied for first. Who would have thought Dallas would have caught the Eagles? The Saints are tied for first. Yes, coming off Bryce Young, one of the worst professional quarterback days ever. I think he completed like 13 out of 36. It's one of the worst uh, passing marks ever for an NFL quarterback. But the Saints win now tied with Atlanta and also uh, Tampa after Tampa beat Atlanta. But the uh, the, the play that uh, that's getting most of the talk about is what happened in the Kansas City-Buffalo game. And I just happened to catch this in real time. I think you did also, where – the uh, Chiefs, with less than two minutes, had the football, and they're down by three. They're at home against Buffalo. They're driving down the field, and Mahomes throws a pass over the middle to Travis Kelsey, who then inexplicably but electrifyingly laterals the ball almost halfway across the field to Kadarius Toney, the Mobile native, who carries it in for the touchdown, which would have put Kansas City in front. But hold the phone. They called an offside penalty on Toney. Well, if you saw the game in real time or even just watch it now on YouTube, Mahomes went ballistic on the sideline. He heaved his helmet. He was pretty upset. He said in his seven years of football, and I didn't realize that's all he's ever played, that uh, that's the first time he's ever seen an offsides, offensive offsides penalty call. Now, he may be wrong on that, but that, but that's, you know, in the emotion of it. And then the official, uh, it was a Carl Shevers, had a, a press conference, the pool, pool press conference afterwards, and said, you know, it's not our job to warn these players to say onsides and whatever. So, you know, it's in the eyes of the beholder. It was that close, and it cost Kansas City a win. Well, it wasn't that close. I mean, Kadarius Tony was indeed offsides. I mean, the, it's, it's pretty – what's, what's fascinating about this whole story is how – adamant the Chiefs are about it being a terrible call because of the end result. Now, if I'm not mistaken, the flag was thrown long before Kelsey threw that ball across the field. It's thrown immediately. So it was the right call, and Chiefs fans and players are ticked off because it it negated a great play. I think we all are upset it negated a great play, but I've never seen – I can't – I'm, w I'm wondering if there's ever been a play where people have been so upset where it was an obvious call that they're just so mad at the officials. Um, 
No, he was he was offsides. Like it's it's clear as day. As Michael pointed out, they threw the flag right away. And why Kansas City is whining the way they are is is kind of baffling to the rest of the football watching world. Well, I think the reason's obvious. If that was Buffalo and they were playing in Buffalo, the Buffalo Bill fans would be upset because it took away their touchdown. I don't think many of them really knew what was going on as far as offsides or not. I mean, if you're at the game, it's pretty tough to tell. You have to see it on replay a few times to see, you know, that Tony was a bit offsides. I thought I read, and I could be wrong on this, Chevers, I thought I saw a quote from him, and maybe I shouldn't even say this because I'm not positive about it, where he even questioned why the call was made. But again, I, he, he used the word egregious, but I'm not sure that that was a correct quote. He's the referee. He wasn't the one who made the call. So again, you're right. That he was uh, Kadarius was offsides, and it negated what would have been a can perhaps a Kansas City win because obviously Buffalo still would have had time to uh, drive down the field. But the reason they're upset, of course, is now they've lost what two games in a row, and and officiate they claim officiating has cost them the two games. But I think when they saw Mahomes go ballistic like that, because he doesn't usually do that. Yeah, it was an embarrassing display for Mahomes, frankly. I mean, if like if Kelsey had dropped the ball. Just hypothetically, you wouldn't have heard any complaining about the call. Or bad if it were call. just an incomplete pass. Like that's what I mean. Like yeah. you wouldn't have heard any complaining about the about the call. You want to take a phone call? We got a phone call already on this. Yeah, right, this is great. I told you guys are going to be pumped up. Let's do it. Six nine four one zero five five. Go ahead, caller. Hey, good good morning. Yep. Uh, the reason why Kansas City Chiefs is so pumped up about the call, if you think about the last. Four or five years since Buffalo and Kansas City have been playing, there's a lot of things in change. The uh, playoff rule was changed because Kansas City beat Buffalo, and now teams get a chance to get the ball in the second half. Uh, the year before that, Tom Brady beat Mahomes. Mahomes never got a chance to get the ball. The rule wasn't changed. Yeah. Just last night, they called a drop pass by Kelsey and ruled it incomplete. Uh, two series later, Buffalo had to play the same way, and they said the pass was complete. So you got to think, over time, eventually this stuff add up, and it's becoming frustrating. That for some reason, just like if you listen to the broadcast, Tony Romo, he just constantly cheer for one team, and that's Buffalo and uh, they, they quarterback. And, and it seems like that's the way the league is going. They're trying to make sure that Buffalo's in the playoffs. Seem like these games are not competition anymore. They they based upon money, and it's the NFL too. Thank you. You know, Thank the you thing for the about call. Kansas City is now they're in a position where they may have to open up the playoffs on the road, which is very rare. Getting back to Tony Romo, do you think he was being funny? Or that he was really off base when he addressed uh, Kelsey's girlfriend as his wife? Or do you think he was just trying to be funny? And when and Jim Nance said, uh, do you know something we don't know? And Because he corrected him and said his girlfriend. But he, he actually came out and said uh, Kelsey's wife, uh, Taylor Swift, is watching. But obviously that was a mistake. And I was just kind of curious because Romo does have this quirky sense of humor. Um... I don't really know. I, I guess he was just trying to be funny. I don't know. I was just, he said, he, he dressed it like uh, Kelsey's wife looking on, and Nance corrected him and said, you mean girlfriend, or is there something you know that we don't know? I, I didn't really give it a whole lot of thought, really. I know it made some headlines. I just thought he was trying to be funny. 
I mean, I guess he could have made the mistake, but I mean, it's Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. I think yeah, everybody kind of knows where that is. So wait, our caller is saying that the league is trying to get Buffalo is giving preferential treatment of Buffalo over Kansas City. Is that is that what our that's what our that's essentially what he said. I, I mean, I. I kind of respectfully disagree. I mean, it's Kansas City. It's Patrick Mahomes, right? If the league were trying to get any team in the... Well, I think his point is that, and again, I'm not saying I agree with it, but Buffalo 6-6 six and six and kind of teetering on making the playoffs or not. So, But, I mean, it, would you rather a Miami team or a Buffalo team make the playoffs? Well, Miami's going to win the division. Right, but I'm just saying when it comes to storylines or... Or, or or stars. I'm not buying into the fact the officials are rooting for anybody. I mean, you can say that. You say all you want on social media, but that's not the case. If they make mistakes, they make mistakes. In this case, we all agree Tony was offsides, and, and it was pretty obvious that the flag was thrown before. Even Jim Nance, if you listen to the call, Said before the play was completed, said there's a flag on the play. It yeah, wasn't was like they waited till the end and then threw a flag like sometimes you see. Yeah, I'm as much of an anti-official advocate as anyone. But there, <laughs> there, there, there was no, there was no mistake on this play. There was no helping of anyone. I mean, the the correct call was made. He, Tony lined up offsides. The flag was thrown right away. Yeah, it was uh, such a shame that it wiped out a cool play. That, that it was a cool play. Oh, it was. I mean, it was it was uh, you know, the the stones on Kelsey to to throw that lateral after some of the things we've seen lateral wise that have gone awry, but. I mean, the correct call was made. What do we? What do we even argue? And then Mahomes after the game is still complaining about. It. Did yeah. you see the video of the handshake between him and Josh yep. Allen? Yep. It's very out of character for Mahomes. Very odd. And I'm a big fan of Mahomes, and but even, and even embarrassing. Andy, and even Andy Reid was very at, at weird. Was he like, never complained. Yeah, it was just well, I think bizarre. he just had to defend his quarterback in that case. I, I don't think he had any choice in the matter. Um, and aren't. Uh, uh, Reed and uh, aren't Reed and uh, McDermott, the coach of Buffalo, kind of bonded. Went, did they coach together? There, there's so I'm not many. Sure. Yeah, there's so many uh, scenarios about coaches coaching together and so forth. I, I thought I was listening to the announcers talk about the the relationship, but I I think Andy Reed had, I guess, was just putting, you know, going to bat for Mahomes because, like I said, I have never seen Mahomes like that. He said something along the lines of like. The refs always let me know when when something like that. I'm yeah, that, and, like and and Chever said that's not the case. Our job is not to not to tell the players where to line up. They should know where to line up. Yeah. Well, for the I mean, like you guys know, so you walk to the line as a receiver and you put your you put your hand in in front of you and and signal to the referee that I'm on the line, and then that's when they'll tell you to back up or whatever. Or you put your hand behind you to let you know let them know you're off the line. He didn't do either. He just stood there, and he didn't look at any official. I, uh, To be fair, an official will tell you before you snap the ball if you look at him one way or the other to either back up or get up on the line or you're okay. And he didn't. Even, and Kadarius didn't even look at one of the officials. So you know, the, if, the referee didn't really have any other choice but to throw the flag. You know, if I'm, I'm going in a different direction on this, but if Kansas City fans want to cry and scream and holler, scream at the front office, they do miss some of the receivers they've let get away namely Tyree Kill and so forth. They just don't have that uh, receiver to go downfield and catch the ball. Uh, this is the second game, unfortunately. I mean, we like Kadarius Tony's from this area, but the second game where he's 
had his issues that and then it was early in the season when he dropped a pass or I'm trying to I don't remember I think the it was exact week play. one he had a disaster so they game. don't have and then last week it was that other guy with the three names that had his issues they just don't have the the long ball uh, receiver like they used to have it's either Kelsey or good luck all right, 6.15, so we got a lot to get to clearly today. Yeah, so we mentioned the Saints. We'll get into that. A little little friction between uh, Derek Carr and his offensive line. Seems like it's Derek Carr to everybody. Yeah, um, you know, Derek Carr has yeah. problems with everyone. There seems to be a common denominator there. Yeah. At least they were playing the Panthers, so they you had won. that going. Hey, Blake Stein's going to join us at 6.30. We'll talk about the Atani signing. Uh, Ross Jackson on the Saints at 7. Matt Cohen will talk a little Auburn. Roger Hoover on Alabama at 8. Matt Moscona was in New York for the Heisman. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk to you at 694-1055. Here comes your scoreboard traffic and weather. We are off and running. And, yes, Sarah Land lost at the end. We'll talk all about it. Stay with us. It's the opening kickoff. Hey, this is Julian Zeus McClurkin with the world-famous Harlem Globetrotters. And my favorite station is WNSP Sports Radio 105.5 FM. kickoff continues ah there we are see uh you guys can jump in 694-1055 all right the other thing we need to talk a little bit about uh on friday it was friday right sarah land took the field was that was that friday i don't know my, my days it was blended. friday okay so um they fall short on a uh on a last second play uh i know it was an unbelievable game uh lee and i were talking before the the uh the show about just how much talent was on that field it was absolutely insane but i think a lot of people around here shocked that uh sarah land didn't finish i want to ask mr Bronner over there because he's covered a lot of uh or called a lot of sarah land games one did you see it uh, i'm sure you saw it on twitter after and two uh, were you surprised by um maybe not tying it up at the end there or, sh or, or looking for a shot to tie it up I was certainly surprised by the end result. Uh, I didn't think Clay Chalkville would be able to run the ball that. I know how good Mbakwe is, but you know the w obviously we've talked all season and rightfully so about Saraland's offense, but their defense has been so impressive, and no one all season, even Lipscomb, struggled to run the ball against them. And that front front three, especially, is as good as anyone we've ever seen in high school football. So I really didn't think they'd be able to run the ball with any kind of consistent success on them. And they were. They were all night. And, uh, you know, perhaps the biggest thing was Sarah Land not being able to run the ball at all. Obviously, it helped that Ryan Williams had 240 receiving yards or whatever the number was, uh, and all four of their touchdowns. But, yeah, Sarah Land had... 35 rushing yards or something like that on the entire game so just didn't have a very balanced attack and probably couldn't score as much as they they wanted to but as for the end decision a lot of people are saying a lot of things about it I I frankly don't hate going for it obviously you would have liked to have seen the clock manage better and not let it run down to five seconds before going for it on that fourth down uh maybe call the timeout at 
you know, 15, 20 seconds or, you know, because the clock, st- it's four and five, clock stops, you get the first down and then you can run up and spike it, you get down to the two, whatever the case may be, instead of letting it run down to five seconds and turning a fourth and five into a fourth and 12, essentially. I really don't hate going for it. I, I don't. They've done that all year. They've done that for two years. Uh, Jeff Kelly's always been aggressive going for it on those fourth downs. Uh, but all that being said, you know, you can hindsight second guess 2020. He believed in his guys. I, I really don't mind the decision to go for it instead of kicking a field goal. It's, it's all, almost a 30-yard field goal. It's never a guarantee in high school football, but obviously things didn't work out. You would have wanted to see the clock manage better than it was. I'll say this. Uh, first of all, agreeing with everybody, it was one of the most incredible high school games loaded with talent on both sides. <laughs> Uh, Clay Chalkville is a really, really good team. They beat Thompson this year, so you know you got to take note to that. I'm not, I don't have a problem with the play. If if Lacey scores, we're talking about that. We'd be raving about that decision. So, you know, to that, I'm not sure that was the play that was called in the huddle. We'll, hopefully, we'll get Jeff on this week. I'm not sure that was the play, but as it turned out, the quarterback I guess saw an opening and thought he could make it, and is. You know, Michael pointed out they've been making plays like that all year. It's a great stop by Chalkville to stop them at the uh, basically at the, uh, the two-yard line. But um, you know, I I I I was not surprised at the decision to go for it either. I mean, I obviously a game like that you want it to continue. You know, maybe go overtime. And then I started to wonder in overtime with as much firepower as both teams on on offense. I'm wondering how you could stop a team four downs, ten yards. You know, how how long that could have gone. But both teams are really terrific to watch, and it was it wound up being a very, very good football game. And I'll agree with Michael. That was the only thing that I couldn't understand, is that Lane couldn't run the ball better. They hardly had any yardage. But then again, Lacey set an all-time record for passing yardage. All right, you guys can jump in at 694-1055. That's the number. The, the other conversation uh, we have to have is somehow the Saints, despite all the ineptitude, uh, not only won but won convincingly against the uh, – the Carolina Panthers. Uh, I'm, it's I'm a tough indictment of the Panthers there. Uh, yeah. Uh, you say convincingly. I didn't see most of the game because I was out. So I get in the car. They're in the fourth quarter, Mark. They're only winning 14-6. to six. Yeah. And then the Panthers miss a field goal, which would have made it 14-9. to nine. At the time, I did not realize until, you know, I got home and saw the end that Bryce Young had such a terrible game. Uh, one of the th- one of three quarterbacks ever to complete just 13 out of 36 passes. So there's that, and I guess you got to give credit to some of the uh, defense for the Saints. But I'm going to tell you, that was a closer game than I thought it would be in the fourth quarter, and then it wound up being 28-6. to six. Yeah. Uh, the Saints got the blocked kick, blocked punt for uh, a touchdown, which was huge. Uh, Derek Carr wasn't much better. I mean, it's, it's hard to be worse than Bryce Young was yesterday, but Derek Carr wasn't great. There was a little bickering going on. They didn't have Taysom Hill. Uh, Olave's yeah, got, got, got flu-like symptoms. It was his flu game. Um, what was wrong Taysom with Hill? was on concussion protocol, I All think, right. after last week. So just just the, only, the best news I can tell you about the Saints is that the Falcons lost, and so there's just a log jam in the NFC South. It's just a, just a bad division. You know, you talked about missed field goals and so forth, and – you know, the, the the kicker for Atlanta, since you brought up Tampa, and Tampa won, that creates a three-way tie. Right now, Tampa has the tiebreaker, but they're all tied at six and seven. But Koo, the kicker for Atlanta, has the best field goal percentage in the league at 91%, and he missed two field goals in that game. I'll take it.
I'll take it. All right. Uh, when we come back, Blake Stein's going to join us to talk a little baseball. Uh, Ross Jackson will talk some Saints at 7 o'clock. We'll see if he can figure out why Derek Carr and um, his offensive line were going at each other. They all chalked it up was just the heat of the moment. But I'm thinking, and I'm just speculating here, I think Carr messed up some sort of protection call. But, boy, it got pretty heated. We'll talk about it coming up in a little bit. It's the opening kickoff on this Monday morning edition right here on the sports station, WNSP and WNSP.com. Stay with us. morning edition of the opening kickoff continues from the studios of WNSP. Well, there were a lot of things over the weekend that really grabbed headlines. Uh, Jane Daniels winning the Heisman. Uh, Matt Moscona was there, and we'll talk to him at 8.30. He uh, beat out Michael Penix Jr. And then, of course, there was the signing of Shohei Otani. Now, we knew this was going to be a lot of money involved, but I don't think anybody saw this one coming. $700 million dollars over a 10-year deal for the pitcher slash DH. Uh, Blake Stein is a former Major League pitcher. He's been on many times to talk baseball with us. He's now at McGill as an administrator. Good morning. How are you, Blake? I'm good, Lee. How are y'all doing? Good. I've heard people try to justify this salary, and I've heard it go both ways. I had heard originally that maybe you could get him at 500 but now when the Dodgers paid over 700 million I don't know all the you know ins and outs can you justify a salary like that for uh, Otani I mean uh, yeah if, if there's a if, if somebody was willing to pay you 700 million over 10 years to, to broadcast sports I mean I think you would take that um, I think it's the market it, it's what is it's what's given to them um, it's what those teams are willing to pay, whether it's justified or not. Um, that's what they're willing to, to go out and get, then they can get it. So I, I don't have any problems with it. Now, it is an insane amount of money. How they come up with that kind of money to to do that, um, whether I agree with it or not, I'm saying if uh, if I'm in that situation, um, then I'm not going to feel bad about signing that big of a contract. All right, you've pitched in the major leagues. You know about injuries. The speculation is that he will not pitch in 2024 because of arm surgery, um, but that he'll come back in 2025. So from that perspective, from a pitching perspective, what do you see happening down the road? Because, and again, you're not a doctor. You don't know exactly the ins and outs of Otani's shoulder, but this is the second time I think he's had this uh, type of surgery. Right, and I, I think that, He's kind of the unicorn of baseball right now with, with being able to do just, just about everything, you know, hit, field, and pitch. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's um, the 10-year contract, the first year being that he's going to be a hitter only um, and then work his way back into pitching. Um, you know, it, it makes it makes sense to not rush him back, especially since he does play a position. Um, but 
you know, I, for me, you know, when you sign a 10-year contract when a club's willing to do that, that's a long time to, to help a person stay as productive and healthy. Yeah, and I can't remember in, in recent history any 10-year contract evolving into a very successful. I know Albert Pujols had one. that I, I wouldn't say that turned out all too great. Uh, Rendon for the Angels also had a long one. Josh Hamilton, none, none of these actually ever really panned out, although Pujols above the other two. But here's what I heard a syndicated radio talk show host say in justifying this contract. He said, if you took Otani as a hitter with the 44 home runs and MVP, then you'd probably pay out about $40 million to get his bat in the lineup. And then if you're a pitcher and looking at Jacob DeGrom's contract from last year, maybe that's worth, what, 25 to 30 mil. There's your $70 million a year. Are you buying into that? Right. Uh, well, I think you kind of have to. I mean, where do you set the market? Do you say, I'm going to pay you as a hitter, or am I going to pay you as a pitcher? I mean, um, it, that, that's the, the difference between his contract and, and any other one we've ever had to deal with in baseball. And so, um, you know, it would be different if he was just a, a mediocre, you know, mid-level pitcher, but, you know, he's a, a very good pitcher. Um, and, and so... I think that that makes it very difficult for you to justify what his salary should be, whether it be on a hitter scale or on a pitcher scale. So this is the part I really don't understand. It's You know, you see these numbers, and there's going to be, you know, obviously after taxes, and, and, and there was some other stuff that was written into the contract. But as far as a merchandising piece, is that where the Dodgers recruit a lot of money back from merchandising worldwide because he is from Japan and so forth? I don't think there's any doubt, and I think that when you saw the the impact that Ichiro had in Seattle when he came over, um, you know, as kind of one of the first uh, big big name uh, Japanese players, uh, he he can really uh, influence their their merchandise sales, their season ticket sales, their ads, their um, that that will go overseas, and so I'm I'm sure that. Um, there's a whole lot more involved in, in what you get out of signing him than just the player on the field. Hey, let me ask you something. With the money that he's going to be getting, do you think we're going to be seeing more ball players coming through the ranks, high school, college, try to go both ways, pitch and hit? I think you've already started to see it um, in, this, in the college uh, level. And so um, I think you're starting to see guys that are, are they're seeing that it's possible. I think for the longest time, uh, people were always told that you either had to pitch or play a position. Um, and so now I think that you will start to see a little bit more. Blake, appreciate it. Uh, Ten years from now, we'll check you out on this to see if it was worth it. <laughs> I'm sure. I, I mean, but but it's like this. I think they put a 10-year investment to sign him to probably get five or six years out of it. And and, and then who knows, he might be on the market again. Um you know, and, and, of course, we don't know all the provisions of the contract and what all is in there, but um, it's, it's pretty monumental. Blake, appreciate you getting up early with us, man. Uh, happy holidays to you and yours. We'll be in touch. Well, thanks so much. And, look, is that is that the longest you've ever gone without having to talk on radios when we come on about baseball? Uh, I don't. It's not that I don't have to talk. It's that I just don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, well, hey, thanks for having me, guys. So, uh, is uh, who, who do you like in the NFC South this season, Blake? I don't think anybody. Yeah, I don't think anybody wants to win it. it it's kind of 
Uh, I was at the Saints game yesterday, and, and I know they won, but, man, they still look terrible. Yeah. Um, which doesn't say much for Carolina. Uh, and so the sad thing is one of these teams is going to win the South, and they're actually going to host a playoff game against, like, Dallas or Philadelphia yeah. or a, a wild card. Yeah, that just brings that brings up a point. That brings up a point I've been wanting to get. Do you think instead of doing it the way they do, they should seed them by records or however you can do it? So in other words, a team that has a losing record is not hosting, but is actually on the road. In other words, you start at the top. Maybe if you look at today, maybe 49ers, Eagles, or Dallas, and work your way down to the teams that you know had the better record should be uh, hosting. Possible. I mean, but what do you say about winning a division? I mean, even though it's a bad division, they still win it. And so how do you take away a home game from you being the division champion? I mean, so that, that's kind of tough to do. Well, I look forward to uh, hearing from you after this, when the Saints wind up hosting the, uh, the Eagles or the Cowboys. It should be a good one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, we'll have to see about that. Hey, man, have a good day. Thanks for the time. All right. Thanks yep. for having me. That's Blake Stein, ladies and gentlemen. You're on uh, WNSP. There had been talk about doing that about, I don't know, a year or two ago, about reseeding the teams, you know, from top to bottom. Um, I I wouldn't be opposed to that. I mean, I, I think it's ridiculous if you got a team that winds up 8-9, which is very possible in the NFC South that they're hosting. Well, I, I this, this is kind of the reverse argument that we have in college football, which is the the NFL is designed – to perf- to do this this is this is why you play in divisions because everything is based on equity or uh, equality so I think you have to do it this way how far back was it that we were talking about the NFC South could be the best uh, league we had Brady I think you had breeze I think who the uh, Falcons had in Carolina that had maybe the best four teams with quarterbacks and how that has turned around quickly well and I and I think that's why you don't tinker with it because this is a league where you can end up last in your division one year and competing for a division title the next year, and it all goes back to the same reason because it's all about parity. Did you watch the game? Uh, yeah. See, I didn't get to watch most of it. The fault is it on Bryce? Was he that bad, or was it just he just doesn't have the talent around him to complete passes? I just passes. don't think they. I, they're just not very good. I mean, I, I, I mean, I. He actually had more running yards than I think he led the team for a while in rushing. I just they're just not. They're just not good at football right now. And I think this is, is not new. I mean, I don't think anybody thought they were going to be this bad, but we knew going into the season that they had terrible offensive line issues, that they weren't going to be any good. And there's a reason they got Bryce Young with the overall top pick. They're just they're just not good. And New Orleans wasn't much better. I think the bigger issue is New Orleans. I know the score doesn't indicate it, but, man, Derek Carr wasn't good. I know they're missing some guys, but – they're, they're well, not on the same page. He was coming off concussion protocol. I wonder how healthy. Look, at this stage of the game, you know most every player out there is injured in some shape or form. I mean, concussions, bruises, whatever. He's been banged up considerably. But you wonder just how effective he really is. Um, you would think that this late in the season, he should be really getting it together. And I was listening on radio, and Deuce McAllister was pretty tough on the Saints yesterday as far as them not being in rhythm. But, boy, I'll tell you, you talk about a commentator who railed on the officiating in that fourth quarter. I wish I could remember there were two calls, one that should have favored the Saints that didn't and the other should have favored Carolina. 
and he f he felt that there should have been challenges by either sideline, and they didn't side they did not challenge, and he felt the officiating really let the uh, game get away with two very bad calls. But again, not watching it on TV, I, I and not watching replays, I don't really have an answer. Well, there was one play that, and I don't remember which one it was that they tried to. Uh that New Orleans tried to challenge, oh, but they right. were too late. Dude too late. throws the flag as the ball's being snapped. Like, you're watching right. the game, and all of a sudden this red flag comes flying in. You, it's just, there's so many problems with this team. So first it was Carr and Alave. Now it's Carr and his offensive line, right? Now it's ne Carr and someone else, right. Carr and someone and, else, and, and, and Carr and someone Allen else. And Dennis Allen can't get the red flag out quick enough. Like, what are you doing? That was the play he was talking about. He said, even, way before the play unfolded, he said, throw the challenge flag. There's got to be. Was it, was it a first down type of play? Or I don't even remember. Okay. And then, I think it was a spot. It was one of the Yeah, well, it was they, one of the spots. Oh, that was Carolina it. Carolina had gotten the right. first. Right. McAllister was emphatic that the guy went out of bounds. The ball was not over the first down marker. He said, throw the flag, throw the flag. And they didn't until the play unfolded. He, he was just beside himself. Yeah, it just they're just they're just issues. And look, I like Deuce. Deuce was a great player, but Deuce is a huge fan sitting there calling that game. Like he's he, there, there's no objectivity there. I mean, he knows the game, uh, but that dude is black and gold through and through. Like a lot of those radio broadcast teams are. All right, six forty-five. Let's uh, let's wrap up hour number one. Next, we can talk Heisman. We can get back to the Kansas City Buffalo play that all Kansas City fans are up in arms about. We, we've, we've done a deep dive into that. Patrick Mahomes, not his not his finest moment after that game. Uh, but there was plenty to talk about over the weekend, and we're here for all of it. Right here on the Sports Station, WNSP and WNSP.com. It's the opening kickoff right here on the Sports Station, WNSP. Hey, this is Buggins Blakes from the world-famous Harlem Globetrotters, and you're listening to WNSP in Mobile. The thing is, I'd rather let, let us play, man. Like, let us play the game. And then whatever happens, happens. Like, the whole throwing the flag and deciding the game one or another, um, that, that that's what hurts me. That's why, like, last week I didn't say anything because it's, it's letting us play, man. Let us let us go out there and win the game. And I said I'd rather didn't let us. So if you jump, uh, if you foul start, just don't, 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 don't blow it. Let us, let us play, play, man. man. Let us, let us, let us play. play because if he gets a jump, Man, it, it, it just, it just yeah. let us play. I wonder if that call, <laughs> and so they, they still had like a couple more downs. I think they still had a couple more downs to uh, to get the ball into position or at least to go for a touchdown or at least for a field goal. I wonder how that affected him mindset, you know, because if you watch the end of the game, some of his passes were kind of off the mark, and I wonder if he let that affect his play, the emotions take over, and he wasn't nearly as effective. Now, granted, the pass rush for Buffalo was enormous, and they weren't giving him much time. But he's always has this history of scrambling out of problems, but he wasn't able to really do that against Buffalo. So Buffalo's still in the hunt. Kansas City's in danger. They're going to they're gonna be in the postseason, but they may have to travel instead of playing at home. All right, uh, I'm going to, you know, we have fun sometimes talking about my dental implants and and. The, the help I've had from Dr. Mullinex. But let me say this. If you ever have any issues with your teeth, pain, whatever, don't, don't let it go. Just, just get in and, and see an oral surgeon because in the long run it's going to benefit you. 
Um, Dr. Christopher Mullinex and Dr. Aaron Wallander, two of the finest oral surgeons I know. I've been there. Uh, Dr. Mullinex has been serving the Mobile area for over 20 years. Book an appointment at uh, 715 Downtown or Boulevard. You can give them a call, and they'll take day of emergencies, 471-3381. That's 471-3381. They specialize in all kinds of oral surgery. They specialize in dental implants, wisdom teeth, uh, all that kind of stuff. So if you have an issue, don't say, well, I'll let it go because that could be detrimental to your health. And so I implore you to uh, use that advice and call Dr. Christopher Mullenix. So you want to get in on the whole Kansas City outrage, the fake outrage maybe, that, that just, be, just be mad you lost the game. Like, I get why you're mad. I get why you're frustrated. It was an unbelievable play by Kelsey. But it's not like the officials saw you saw Kelsey throw it across the field to get Eric Tony. It was like, oh, we can't let this happen and throw a flag. They threw the flag right away. Why? Because Kadarius Tony was 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 offsides. I mean, he lined up offsides. I, I I just I don't. And for Patrick Mahomes to come out and just so be openly vehement, like they were wronged in some sort of way, it's just so ridiculous to me. Well, just remember, he. I don't think he actually. You know, he was upset. I don't think he was watching where Tony was lined up. I don't think until he maybe he'd have a different reaction if he watched the replay and saw that his receiver actually was offsides. But he he was complaining because he claimed the officials are supposed to warn the player. And Carl Chevers, who was the referee, said that's not the case. Our job is not out there to warn the players to be onside. He said that uh, Mahomes said that that was his issue that they didn't warn Tony to get back. I, whatever in the moment, but surely he had seen a replay by the time he was on the podium. On the podium, but the not flag. when he was on the sideline, heaving his helmet all over the place. Yeah, but let's, I mean, the audio you just heard, and he's still complaining about, I mean, so, I mean, he'd seen the replay at that point, so, I don't know. I, I, I just thought it was pretty ridiculous from him. I think most people did as well. Heat of the moment, football is a very emotional game. I've never played it at that level, but I'm assuming it's a very emotional game. I actually uh, applaud the ref for finally calling it. How many times, though, have we seen, not that he did it well, but how many times have we seen a defensive end or a defensive lineman or whatever, like his helmet is like over the line of scrimmage? Um, and I don't think it's the, is it really the job of the official to to tell a receiver that he's offsides before he's offsides, especially late in the game? Like it would, and again, I, I said this last, uh, a couple segments ago, it's real simple. The ref will tell you if you ask him, right? Even when I coach little kids in football, you teach them, put your hand out front to let the know, let the referee know that you're on the line, and he'll tell you to back up or go back and put it behind to let him know you're off the line. And Kadarius Tony did neither. I, I, I hate it for the Chiefs because it was a it was a really cool play, or a heads up play by Kelsey, but I just it's just fake outrage. Like I just I just don't understand why. And and Andy Reid was just as adamant about it and you just don't kind of see that right after it was just weird man and then like you pointed out Bronner, the the comments that he was making to josh allen like he was griping to josh allen about very weird what's, what's josh allen's yeah bro you, you guys got screwed no whatever josh Stop. allen kind of just stands there awkwardly and shrugs his shoulders very weird someone said von miller was offsides like the next play and no call 
the wide receivers always check with the refs whether they're lined up right. That was another story. How come Von Miller was even playing? Kansas City's a bunch of prima donnas. Mahomes acting like his punk wife. <laughs> I can't use that whole one. <laughs> Uh, there was a Panthers receiver who lined up offsides yesterday also. It happens. Don't feel sorry for the Chiefs. All right. So I think we're all in. Uh, although we had one caller earlier today thought that uh, the officials were trying to get the, the Bills into the playoffs. But otherwise, I think most of us are all in agreement here. I was surprised at the outcome, though. Buffalo has not been playing that well. And to go on the road against Kansas City is a huge win for them. It puts them back at least in the uh, – they're on the outside looking in now, but at least they're in a better position having beaten Kansas City because they've certainly had their issues over the last few games. Uh, we're going to talk to uh, Matt Moscona coming up at 830, but we've had so much going on with the Saraland game, the Chiefs, the Saints. We haven't really had a chance to talk about the Heisman. No real drama there. Uh, in my opinion, uh, I watched a little bit of it, not a whole lot of it. Uh, it just the, there's just there was no intrigue there because I just figured Jaden Daniels was going to win, and, and that's kind of what happened. Well, they don't the, – the, the, the ESPN network, they pretty much, when they say so-and-so is the favorite, they have a pretty good idea. They do a straw poll, so they have a pretty good idea. And if you notice that even before the uh, presentation, because they don't want to detract – although they do in a bit, they actually had issued uh, voting for like they had Jalen Milrow came in six. I think they had five through ten, and they told you where those guys finished. So they had an idea, and when they put out stuff like, well, he's the favorite to win it this year and so forth, and it's rare for a, a guy on a three-loss team to win it. I think it's the first time since 2016 but to uh, Jane Daniels, he posted, so this time they went not so much with how your team did, but what kind of numbers you posted. Uh, so we will uh, talk to Matt Moscone at 830 because uh, what I want to hear from Matt, because he was actually in New York. So not only we'll talk about the, the Heisman, but what are some of the things that he saw that he experienced that maybe we don't get to capture on TV as, as, as consumers of that content? I'm really curious to see. Uh, what it is that he got to see from behind the scenes. But hour number two, Ross Jackson on the Saints, John Roche, the Mill Light Golf Report. Matt Cohen's going to join us to talk Auburn's win over Indiana and some football updates. Uh, I will say Ryan Williams does have a press conference set for 9 a.m. today. Uh, there is some thought that it's just the reclassification. There's some out there I think maybe that he will flip. I don't get the sense that it's going to be a flip after some of the back and forth he had uh, on Friday after the game, but we'll find out. That'll happen at 9. As usual, things breaking news happens as soon as we go off the air, but we'll keep an eye on that for you. Roger Hoover's going to join us at 8 o'clock. We'll talk about Alabama-Purdue. And, of course, we'll have some your daily dose of fried deliciousness at some point this morning. So hang with us. Hour number one in the books. Here comes hour number two. It's the opening kickoff on this Monday edition right here on the sports station, WNSP and WNSP.com.
This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all sports radio station, 105.5 FM, WNSP, and on the Sound of Mobile app. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim, Lee Shervanian, and Michael Brauner. The opening kickoff. Here are Mark, Lee, and Michael. All right, hour number two, a busy Monday edition. Thanks for hanging with us. It's the opening kickoff. Mark, Lee, and Braun are all in the studios of WNSP. Some of the headlines, uh, Jaden Daniels, LSU, is the third LSU Tiger to win the Heisman. Shoei Otani is now a Dodger. He signed a uh, $700 million contract, the richest ever for any athlete worldwide, over a 10-year deal. Uh, also, um, Oklahoma transfer quarterback Dylan Gabriel is taking his talents to Oregon, presumably to replace uh, Bo Nixon as the quarterback there. And John Summerall left Troy to take over Tulane to replace uh, Willie Fritz. As far as the NFL goes, Saints win. Three-way tie for first place. Ross Jackson covers the Saints for Saints Podcast. Ross, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you today? Hey, buddy. Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Good morning to you. All right. So the Saints are 6-7 with Tampa and Atlanta. Is there any way, and, and of course, from week to week, the NFL changes depending on who plays and who doesn't. Do the Saints have a favorable schedule, I think, in their last four games, let's say, over Tampa and Atlanta? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Over Atlanta, I think I think the Saints and and, and the Falcons schedules are both kind of in in the same class of, of easy schedule. But uh, you know, for the from the Saints' perspective, they've got an easy schedule. They need to win games right now, and they have a lot of winnable games at them, including a, a, a Week 18 game that's currently not scheduled, right? It's TBD in terms of time and date uh, up against Atlanta that might end up getting flexed into a primetime game if they're playing for the division in that one. Derek Carr, does he have? It seems like every week he's got issues with somebody. How would you define him? Yeah, I think the the only couple of times I can think that he's had issues with folks would be. I mean, there was the, the Chris Olave incident, and then this week, you know, him and Eric McCoy kind of going back and forth. But you know, look, I, I think the Saints are kind of like waving the sign big time, like, hey, nothing to see here, nothing to see here. But there was so clearly and obviously something to see there. Uh, but I, I kind of, and maybe I have an unpopular opinion on this one. But I kind of agree with Dennis Allen a little bit um, in one of the things that he said last night when he said, you know what, I like the fact that our guys have, uh, I'm just going to say, the, the chutzpah uh, to, you know, to, to be angry and to have those conversations and to, to want better for the team. I would rather this team have some fight than no fight. Remember last year, everybody spent all season saying that the team had no fight, that there was no fire. Well, there's fight and fire this year, and it's certainly uh, been on display, maybe a little bit more than the Saints would like, but there are some positive qualities to take. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I watched it on TV. I, my guess is that maybe Carr screwed up the the protection on that play, and his offensive line let him know. I mean, I, I can't think of any really other re- reasons why they would have gotten into it at that at that one particular time. But uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, could have been, or, or it could have been the opposite way, right? I mean, yeah. Eric McCoy helps to make some of the calls. Maybe you know he felt the offensive, and and Eric McCoy also isn't isn't just going to defend his call, right? He's going to defend his guys. Yeah, something happened, and Caesar Ruiz got beat on the inside of that of that play. Maybe DC was a little, you know, maybe Derek was a little bit more critical with the offensive line than he needed to be in that moment. And Eric McCoy is just sticking up for his guys, right? Yeah. He's sticking up for his unit. And I think in either case, I think uh, you know Derek Carr talked about it after the game, and he said, "I was right about some things. I was wrong about some." 
some things. Derek McCord was right about some things. Derek McCord was wrong about some things. And then, you know, we just butted heads and then everything was good. Eric McCoy said after the game that it was on him, that it was his fault, and that he had sort of overreacted. Uh, I think that that's a little bit of, you know, assuming uh, the, uh, what do you call it, accountability more than maybe it is, you know, just fully Eric McCoy's fault um, at all. I don't think that it, I, I think that it is a shared responsibility thing, but it certainly was connected to the sack, the protection, and whatever Derek Carr's response was to that. All right, I wanted to ask you about the performance or lack thereof of Bryce Young. What was he, 13 for 36, arguably one of the worst passing performances by an NFL quarterback. Was that more on him and his receivers, or was that because of the Saints' defense? I think it was a little bit of both. I mean, I think that the, there were there were there were clear and obvious situations in which Bryce Young missed open receivers downfield, right? There were probably about two or three of those, a couple on the opening drive or, or early on in the game, I'll say. One, he missed Jonathan Mingo over the middle of the field, and then on the next play, missed Jonathan Mingo down the sideline. So there were a couple of misses that were on him. Uh, I think that some of those could be that the Saints actually got, you know, pretty consistent pressure throughout this game. Maybe there was a little bit of that in his head, but you got to hit those plays. You got to hit those passes if you're going to be an NFL quarterback, right? The NFL is about moments. Go out there and make your moment when the opportunity is there. But then in other situations where he was throwing the one-on-ones to guys like Isaac Adam and, and Jordan Howden in the end zone, uh, uh, Alante Taylor down the right sideline, those were great plays by the, those coverage defenders. So I do think that it was a little bit of the defense either getting in Bryce Young's head with the pressure or their coverage, and then there's other instances in which it was just Bryce Young missing open passes, which isn't a you know completely uh, unheard of thing so far this season, and, and certainly not an unheard of thing for a rookie quarterback for that for that matter. So I'm sitting there. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Carolina just got a favorable spot on a uh, third down conversion. They move the chains. And they're getting ready to snap the ball. And all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I see this red flag flying right as the ball is snapped. So Dennis Allen tries to <laughs> tries to get the challenge flag out, but it was way late. Um, how how does that happen? Did did he just not get the call from upstairs quick enough that we need to we need to review this call? Yeah, more than likely, because usually what'll happen is that you know they're they're up there, they've got you know, video monitors and things like that. I don't know that it's necessarily anything that they have control over, but they get a closer look at what the previous play was. Spots in particular are, are tough to, to figure out as opposed to was that a catch, was that not a catch, were there two feet inbounds, were there not two feet inbounds, things like that. Spots are a little bit harder. tend to be a lot of bodies, ligaments, not ligaments, limbs, all those <laughs> things that are kind of involved in that. Yeah. Um, and so maybe, you know, just the, the review booth up top that, you know, helps the team with that, got it, said hey and then carolina did a good job like getting up snapping the ball uh as well uh at, at their own pace and then it just ended up being too late for yeah. uh for dennis allen to be able to do anything with it so all in all and 28-6 looks like it's a route but yet it was only 14 to 6 in the fourth quarter what kind of a grading would you give the saints for their performance yesterday yeah, I, I think, look, it, it, I, I would probably give them a C. I think they were an average team beating a below-average team. Uh, I think that that's who they were, you know. Uh, you know, 14-6 to 6 at the end of the first half doesn't sound impressive because usually you're talking 14-7, to 7, but that's a touchdown lead. That's a, it's a pretty good feeling going into the locker room. That when you come out and you have a three-score victory, it was probably one of the least convincing three-score victories that I've seen. But a lot of that came down to how the team, you know, still struggled to get rhythm and things like that. But but none of that matters, right? Like this is this is one of those things about the NFL. It's always so interesting. Is like we tend to, and I do this, tend to kind of look look at the style points. 
you know, and, and the team doesn't get any style points, but I always look at the style points. Well, you know, what did it look like? And, and, and in actuality, a 28 to six victory counts the same as a 70 point victory for the Miami Dolphins in the win loss column. It just looks a lot better. You know what I mean? Um, and so I, I like the way that Dennis Allen said it, and this is the way that I, w- I would phrase it too. The Saints did what they needed to do to win that game, but that same performance might not win their next game. Talking with uh, Ross Jackson of Saints Podcast. Okay, we talked about this at the outset. They've got the Giants, the Rams, Atlanta, Tampa Bay. How many of those games do they have to win, do you think, to win that division? Uh, four. I mean, they they, they got They have to win out at, at this point. And, and I think that, that the, the main reason why you're looking at winning out is because if you win three and then Atlanta wins two and then you go and you lose the – the game to them head to head at the end of the season, uh, you know, and that's your loss. Then that puts you right back into being tied with the Atlanta Falcons. They own the tiebreaker over you, and then they end up they end up moving on. So, like the the best possible thing that the Saints can do here is, is to win out. I mean, that that's what they need to be focused on doing because otherwise, your leniency is going to be based on how many other games the Bucks and the Falcons lose, right? If the Bucks and Falcons win four, you've got to win four, and you're still not making the playoffs. If the Bucks and Falcons win three, you got to win four because you got to you have to be better than them by season's end in order to make the playoffs. At best, you're going to split the conference or split the division with them, uh, but that's you know that's not going to that's not going to be going to be what you're looking at. Obviously, they can't win four while you win four. You play both of them, but you understand what I'm saying. Uh, so I think that like the thing that you're looking at is basically you've got to be able to go out there and and win these next two games, and you need to settle those tiebreakers against the the Bucks and the Falcons. Obviously around the NFL the the Kansas City Buffalo created most of the controversy because of that offsides call, but the game that shocked me in this day and age of high prolific offenses, Minnesota winning 3 nothing over the Raiders on a field goal with about 2 minutes to go in the game. I I couldn't believe that when I heard that. Yeah, it's funny. All season, uh, every you know, teams that didn't win, sorry, teams that didn't score touchdowns were 0 and 28 going into uh, about three weeks ago. Then all of a sudden, over the course of each of the last three weeks, three weeks in a row, there's one team that wins uh, without scoring a touchdown. And for the Minnesota Vikings, they won without scoring anything else but the field goal. Uh, that was not the game that I expected to see there, uh, but. My goodness, was that? I mean, you're looking at the Minnesota Vikings. You're looking at the loss. I mean, you're looking at teams that aren't that aren't necessarily great, that aren't necessarily lighting the scoreboard up under usual circumstances. But the thing that was really surprising to me is that you had a team that turned around and did what the, the Minnesota Vikings did, winning with not not just without a touchdown, but literally without anything but the field goal on a game where they had just gotten Justin Jefferson back, and then Justin Jefferson had to exit partway through that game, his first game back. So just probably not the day uh, that the Minnesota Vikings were uh, looking for. But again, those style points, right? You win 3-0, to zero, it's the same thing but at the end of the day as a 70-20 to 20 victory or as a 28-6 to six victory. He's Ross Jackson, part of the Locked On Network, host of Locked On Saints. All right, what, ha- what has a better chance of happening uh, before the end of the season? Uh, another blocked punt or technically a fumble cause and recovery because they were all over it before <laughs> even that, which was the weirdest stat correction ever, or Jimmy Graham scoring another touchdown? What's happening first? Oh, oh Jimmy Graham scoring another touchdown. Uh, <laughs> look, Jimmy, the, the Saints are on a three-game homestead right now, right? They, yeah. they had the home game last week against Detroit. They got the home game this past uh, yesterday against the Panthers, and they're home again against the New York Giants. I think Jimmy's got to go three for three in those home games because nothing turns that 
Superdome audience around, yeah. like a Jimmy well, like a Jimmy Graham snap, right? Like Jimmy Graham comes out on the field and everybody goes crazy. But a Jimmy Graham catch, he had a really great catch on that third down, and then that Jimmy Graham touchdown, like nothing just turns that Superdome around and then gets everybody kind of partying, then um, something like that. And of course, the block punt with Steve Gleason in the house is, is incredible, or a fumble, whatever, yeah. uh, you know, on a punt um, is, is incredible. But I think that the, just the likelihood is that you're going to see a uh, you're going to see the the Jimmy Graham touchdown uh, again. But I will say that with, with the Saints having two uh, NFC South opponents remaining, um, Darren Rizzi has done a phenomenal job scheming up his punt block uh, unit against his division opponents over the course of the past handful of years or so. So I, I wouldn't fully rule it out either. It's the most bizarre stat correction I think I've ever seen, but kudos. I know, it was wild. I, I think I said something about how the, the guys in New York for this game just had a lot of time on their yeah, hands seriously. for a little while. That's all about one. Hey, man, thanks again for jumping aboard. Tell folks how they can get the latest uh, news on the Saints. Absolutely, guys. Thanks a ton. Uh, you can find the uh, Locked on Saints podcast uh, on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. You can find all the written work over at Saints News Network, Sports Illustrated, Fan Nation site covering the New Orleans Saints. And, of course, you can find it all the one place in your, your favorite social media at Ross Jackson, NOLA, N-O-L-A. Hey, uh, Taysom back next week? Uh, certainly hope so, although I think the Saints did a good job still moving the ball on the ground without him, but I don't know that it's going to be the same against a, uh, a better run defense next week. So you certainly have your fingers crossed. He'll be back this week. Have a great week. Thanks for the time. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate y'all. Take care. Stay safe. Talk to you soon. Yep. That's uh, scoreboard traffic and weather next. Uh, your Miller Lite Golf Report also. Matt Cohen on Auburn at 730. Roger Hoover on Alabama at 8. Matt Moscona was in New York for the Heisman at 830. A lot going on. And, of course, you guys can chime in. 694-1055. Hit us up in the app at WNSP.com. It's the opening kickoff right here on the Sports Station, WNSP. This is Mayor Sandy Stimson. You're listening to Sports Radio 105.5 FM WNSP. kickoff rolling along on this Monday edition. All right, Johnny, be good. And that would be John Ricchetti with the Miller Lite Golf Report updating us. Did anything actually occur in the, the PGA this weekend, Johnny? Well, there was a, an event, I guess, was co-sanctioned by the PGA Tour, Lee, and that was the Grant Thornton Invitational, which was a, uh, a two-person event down in Naples, Florida, which featured a PGA Tour player and an LPGA Tour player. Uh, in this event, which uh, from all understandings went extremely well. Uh, it's been a long time since this, they've had one of these events, but it was down in Florida. Uh, Jason Day and Lydia Ko are the winners of the Grant Thornton Invitational this weekend, uh, which was co-sanctioned by the PGA Tour. Still not official money on either tour, but it was an event was uh, sponsored in part by the PGA by the PGA Tour this weekend. And by the way, Grant Thornton, somebody asked me earlier what it was. It's an, it's a major accounting firm here in the United States. So uh, they were sponsors. Also, a little bit of news. We talked about John Rahm last week joining Liv. Uh, speculation in the next 48 hours, uh, Liv is to announce possibly Tony Finau and Terrell Hatton uh, also joining uh, the Liv circuit. So we'll keep an eye on this story uh, as it continues to uh Blossom and also Tiger Woods set, set to make another debut this weekend as the PNC Bank Championship gets ready uh, to go. The parent-child event, which has been a huge 
success in the last few years, but uh, Tiger and his son Charlie will be teeing off this Friday down in Florida also. So, But we'll be on the air tonight at 6 o'clock. We'll have a complete recap of the world of golf. Thanks, John. We appreciate it, man. Have a good show. All right. All right, we got a minute or so. 694-1055 is the number. Kansas City, uh, Buffalo has been a big topic of conversation. The Saints uh, and Derek Carr continue to be a, 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 a talking point as well. And, of course, we talked a lot about Sarah Land in our first, uh, first hour. Uh, oh, so close in what was a highly entertaining game. Uh, but at the end, uh, stopped at the two. It doesn't get much more dramatic than that. Ryan Williams, you said, has a press conference at nine. What did he score? Four touchdowns, uh, pass receiving, kickoff return, and ran for one. And the uh, after the game, I guess if he stays with the Alabama commitment, he and the uh, Clay Chalkville quarterback will be teammates at Alabama. Yeah, and there was a lot of uh, brotherly love on social media uh, after that game. I, I don't anticipate he's flipping. I do anticipate the announcement that he's reclassifying, which, and Bronner, you've been around that program a lot more than I have, uh, calling the games here for WNSP, might be like the worst kept secret in, in, in high school sports in the area, right? Yeah, I mean, people have been talking about that really since last year. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Uh, other, I mean, I don't know what the announcement, quote-unquote, would be. Uh, other than I, I don't think a flip is likely, but we'll see. Uh, Auburn fans certainly seem to think that. Well, they don't need – I mean, I shouldn't say they don't need him. Uh, anybody would love to have him, but they keep bringing in receivers. They just got a transfer Auburn did from Georgia State who caught 70 passes. His name is Lewis. They just got a verbal, although it's more of a preferred walk-on, from another central of Phoenix City wide receiver. So they're – I don't know. You keep count. What are they up to, about five or six right now? Well, maybe Matt Cohen might be able to give us a little insight into that. He's going to join us next. We'll talk a little uh, Auburn hoops and any football updates. Is Will this be among them? We shall ask. Also, Roger Hoover at 8 o'clock. So stay with us. Plenty left on a Monday edition. It's the opening kickoff right here on the sports station, WNSP. boys and girls thanks for hanging with us on this monday edition it's the opening kickoff so the two sec schools in this state went one for two against uh big time basketball programs out of indiana uh, alabama lost a tough one back and forth lost to purdue in canada but somehow some way auburn annihilated indiana by some 30 points matt cohen al.com he was there he saw it matt did you see this one coming you know, I think on paper, Auburn is definitely the better team in that game, but I don't think anyone, at least certainly I don't think anyone would have told you that Auburn, even in a game where those two teams are so mismatched, I mean, really both teams are mismatched against each other. I never saw that going as a 30-point swing either way. Um, 
it was really a return to kind of the best of what this Auburn team can be. Everything was clicking. Um, I I cannot tell you I saw a 30-point win coming, or let alone even a margin like that. I never saw Auburn scoring 100 points against Indiana. All right, so let's get down to the nitty-gritty of this game. The way I look at it, and I'm not as close to the scene as you are, uh, coming into the season, there was a lot of, let's say, applause for the guard Holloway. He had not shot well the previous two games. He went on fire against Indiana. So are we to believe now that as Holloway goes, as a freshman guard, Auburn goes? I think a combination of two different things. I don't think that's necessarily wrong. Um, Auburn's got a ton of depth. He is Auburn's best scorer from the guard position, no question. He's, I mean, one of the best just pure shooters as a freshman I've ever seen since I've covered college basketball. Um, I mean, you, it, it's very clear why he was rated as a five-star recruit at a high school. I think part of why Auburn had such success over the weekend was he, he regained his form and everyone else started making shots around him. But also, I think Indiana, I mean, I, I think Auburn did such a good job defending Indiana's interior play. They basically, in a matchup where Indiana greatly outsized Auburn, which you're not going to see that many times for Auburn, Auburn's not. Auburn's not a huge team, but it's definitely not small. Um, and they gave up a lot of size to Indiana's two, two big men in, in the post. And I thought Bruce Pearl devised a really good scheme to really just take that out of the game entirely. What he did was kind of unconventional. He had Auburn's power forwards guarding Indiana's centers and, Indi- and Auburn's centers guarding Indiana's power forwards. And switching it up that way created a, a matchup where – the length of someone like Jalen Williams was really kind of testing Khalil Ware for Indiana, and he never really was able to handle that. And on the flip side, putting a little bit more size on 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 the new Indiana's power forward basically took him out of the game entirely. So I think that kind of switch up on defense did a wondrous job. So I think kind of a combination of both of those things um, were kind of what basically caused an Indiana offense that was already known to not be particularly good to, to stagnate further and really kind of propel Auburn's offense off of its own defense. One more comment with Matt Cohen before we get to football. Okay, so two things stood out. They score over 100 points and turn the ball over three only three times. That's just amazing to me. And the other thing, their leading scorer, the big guy, Broom, would he have one point? I think it too. Like he did two. nothing, and that says so much about how deep this Auburn team can be. Like I, I think Aiden Holloway said after the game that Auburn has ten starters, and he's right. And the, there's there's two different ways that 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 I think Bruce Pearl has looked at that in press conferences. Is either one, Auburn's got ten really good players, or two, Auburn bench is kind. Of, I mean, Auburn starters may not be very good because the bench is just is just as good as, as its starters. I think it's more the former, and I mean. I think it's more the, the former in the sense that Auburn has 10 really good players. I don't know if it's third player 10 like superstars, obviously, but Auburn's, Auburn truly is 10 deep. They've got a lot of guys who can score. They can contribute in a lot of different ways so that when someone has an off night like your top scorer, you're not really going to have a problem. Matt, tickets to Auburn home games are near impossible to get, but I wonder, isn't Southern Cal coming in next Sunday or Saturday with yeah, Ronnie James? on the 17th. Any, yeah. a, any tickets that you know of, and is LeBron due in? I have no. I'm not sure. If, I would assume that game is sold out. I'm not 100 percent sure off the top of my head, though. Um, I believe LeBron had said he was going to try to miss his 
like his like if he had a game on the same day as Bronny's debut, but Bronny played yesterday, and truthfully, I have not. I was spent most of the day in Atlanta. I didn't get a chance to actually look if LeBron was there. Um, so I have not heard if LeBron is coming to this game in Auburn, but I do believe I overheard there's a plan at least if that does happen. <laughs> I can't imagine what that conversation's like. Like, what do you talk about? Like, do you have to get, like, an extra seat? Like, also, one, where does LeBron sit? Auburn doesn't have a lot of, like, sweet area level seats. So, like, imagine LeBron sitting courtside at Neville Arena. Like, do you need to have a security detail around? I don't know how that works. Well, Bar- also, well Barkley, he could sit with Barkley. Seconds. He could sit with Barkley. Barkley comes to a lot of their games. I would bet Barkley's going to be there on Sunday. That would not shock me. All right, football. How many more receivers is Auburn going to bring in? It seems like every time I look, AL.com's reporting, you got a transfer mm-hmm. from Georgia State. You already got a couple of verbal commitments from some high-talented receivers. Uh, yeah. How long does this keep going? I can see it continuing. I mean, I, I don't think – we've talked about Ryan Williams in the past. I, I, I think he's still a target for Auburn. Um, who knows what that – it's still kind of unclear what's going to happen there other than his rec- reclassifying, I think. Today is when that announcement is supposed to come. Um, I'm not 100% sure on that one, though. I think that's today. Um, but so we'll see if, if, if Auburn can eventually land him. I think going forward, you're also looking at Auburn's continuing to recruit other receivers in the transfer portal. Robert Robert Lewis, from what I've seen of him, just from a you know just diving through some YouTube clips, seems to be a pretty talented wide receiver. I think he could have an impact in Auburn right away, and he probably is going to have the opportunity to have an impact right away. Auburn basically had to reshape its entire wide receiver room because it was just so bad this season, um, and they're they're on their way to doing that. I could very well see all of these new guys starting on day one. Um, so I don't think Auburn's going to stop because they've got a lot of retooling to do, especially if they eventually want to be a good passing offense. So how do how do they keep getting all these verbals or transfers coming off a year in which their passing game was obviously below par? And it's more of a running team than it is a passing team. So I think at least, and again, this is my opinion on it, but I think the, the, the running team thing came from just how the roster was shaped this year. I don't think that's what Hugh Freeze wants to do long-term. He wants to kind of air it out a, a bit more than he has. And if that's the case, and the recruiting pitch is easy. It's you tell these kids, look at how bad we are doing this, and you can come in right away. Here's opportunity for you immediately. Come help us and we can turn things around here. Because everything at Auburn, resource-wise, is there. The NIL funding is there. The the fan support is there. The the facilities are there. The stadium atmosphere is there. Like, everything you need to be a successful program, Auburn has. And if you just pitch these kids on, here's our biggest weaknesses, and you can fill that, I think it's a pretty enticing recruiting pitch when you already have all of what Auburn already can offer on top of that. And, you know, for, you know, Love or hate, Hugh Freeze, given his history, he has a track his a track record largely of winning in the SEC. He's uh, and and I think one with good passing offenses. He's put wide receivers in the NFL. Uh, Laquan Treadwell was a Hugh Freeze guy. Obviously, he didn't pan out in the NFL, but a first round pick was a, was a Hugh Freeze guy. I I believe Hugh Freeze. I don't think he ever coached AJ Brown and DK Metcalf. I think he had a role in recruiting both of them to Ole Miss. Um, so he, he's got a, a track record there, and I think receivers are seeing that, plus also the early opportunity at Auburn. A couple of players I want to ask you about. Riley Leonard, he had Auburn on a list with Notre Dame, Ohio State, 
I want you to update us if you've heard anything. And also, uh, Colin Lacey at South Alabama supposedly was offered by Auburn, among many other yeah. schools. What are you hearing? Yeah, so I, I I would think I haven't heard a ton of traction toward Riley Leonard and Auburn. Um, I haven't heard a lot of, you know, there hasn't really been immediate traction of a lot of quarterbacks to Auburn at this point. I don't believe they've brought in any quarterbacks on a visit just yet. Um, I still think Auburn's going to hunt for a quarterback, but I also, as you're seeing with these wide receivers that Auburn's already looking at, they've already got a commitment as a wide receiver, and they've got a bunch of offensive linemen that are coming in for visits as well. I I think that's kind of more their priority right now. Colin Lacey is an interesting one. Um, I I, I can't name every school he's been offered from the top of my head, but I I know he's gotten a lot of offers quickly. Um, I would think Auburn's going to keep pursuing him. That's going to be a a tough battle, I imagine, though, because he's going to be pretty sought after transfer um so i i think you're going to see auburn continue to go after some of these wide receivers and offensive linemen first um because i just haven't seen a ton of impetus from them on the quarterback market hey man always good to have you on we appreciate it tell everybody how they can continue to follow your coverage of auburn yeah so come on over to al.com uh we're over there on on the uh, auburn sports section of the website and i am on twitter at matt underscore cohen underscore have a great week matt we'll be in touch thanks Thank you. Thank you, guys. Yep. So the uh, press conference for Ryan Williams is supposed to be at 9 a.m. this morning. Uh, I think most people believe it's simply to announce what we already know, which is he is reclassifying. I guess there is a chance that he could flip his commitment. That would be an unbelievable story if it, if, if it happened. I don't think it will based on some of the back and forth on social media over the weekend, but I guess we'll find out here in uh, about an hour and 15 minutes. Anybody here believe it's to flip? I don't. I, I just, based on conversations that I had with him earlier this year, the only thing that comes to mind is reclassifying. He could he could have a press conference today and announce reclassification and then down the road announce that he's flipping. I, what do we got? Two weeks to go? Isn't December 20th like signing day? It's just amazing to me that with the very poor passing game that Auburn had this year, that and maybe that's the reason why that they're able to recruit as they are doing with high school kids coming in, Perry Thompson, and of course uh, Coleman from uh, Central Phoenix City, and then you've got uh, the kid Lewis from Georgia State. I'm probably leaving out a couple of others that are in the mix to come. Uh, they've made an offer to Will Shepard of Vanderbilt. Colin Lacey is a, and I'll put big question mark because I don't know. But uh, from what I've heard, Mark, and you probably already know this, Auburn's got deep pockets when it comes to NIL money. No, 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 it's not. I'm, I'm, per- I'm pretty confident in saying that. At least not today. I, I think today is kind of what we expect. I don't think it's impossible in the coming weeks before signing day, but... I mean, you know Auburn's pulling out the full-court press on that, but no. Man, if I had told you that Ryan Williams was going to have 11 catches for a Super 7 Class 6A record, 232 yards and two touchdowns, and oh, by the way, he's going to return a kick for 86 yards and another score, and just for fun, he's going to add a fourth touchdown, and I told you that they lost? Y'all would have had me committed. That's crazy. They, um, you saw some of the other receivers 
well, you you did about eight games this year. So the other receivers, were any of them seniors, or are they all coming back? Were they juniors, sophomores? Do you recall? I'm sorry, say that again, Lee. The other receivers on Sarah Land, because Lacey was, gosh, he completed a ton of passes. Are there others on that team? Were the others like juniors and sophomores? Are they coming back, or are they losing? Let's say Williams reclassifies, which is expected today. What about the other receiving core? Yeah, I want to say C.D. Gill is a junior, so he'll be back. Uh, Dylan Alford might be a senior. Uh, obviously, Sante McWilliams will be back because he was a sophomore last year. Uh, so a lot of the team outside of Ryan Williams will be back. Obviously, you know, there's no replacing Ryan Williams, though, at that point. So I don't know. Uh, Jordan Dees, the tight end, has been phenomenal this year. I want to say he's a senior, though. Someone could correct me in the app on that if I'm wrong. Also, during the game, was it the right tackle that went out early with an injury? And, I, you know, we talked about the fact that uh, Sarah Land could not establish a running game. And, you know, you saw them all year long pretty much from Lipscomb on down the road. And I'm wondering if that had much of an effect on the, uh, the running game. You'd have to ask Coach Kelly how much of an effect on the running game that had. But, yeah, that was one of the more surprising things, like I said earlier. I mean, they had 35 rushing yards as a team. It's just, I mean, obviously – passing game kj and ryan did all they could but it's just not a formula a winning formula not being able to have any kind of a balanced attack yeah. and again the fact that chalkville was able to uh run the ball as well as they were was perhaps the most surprising thing to me you know i was not that familiar with clay chalkville i am now but the guy that really impressed me was it was it craven the receiver running back was that his name craven or something like that gosh he was good all right, let's do this. Uh, let's take a break and come back. Uh, we'll tell you what's up with our team of the day when we come back. And, of course, uh, you guys can jump in at 694-1055. Uh, a lot of NFL talk today. We can continue with that. Uh, the Heisman over the weekend as well. Not a whole lot of drama there, but we'll talk to Matt Moscone. He was in New York. We'll do that at 830. And then uh, Roger Hoover uh, at 8 o'clock on Alabama. So let's wrap up our number two next right here on the sports station, WNSP and WNSP.com. Hey, this is AJ McCarron, and you're listening to WNSP. Seven fifty-one. Welcome back in the opening kickoff. Mark Lee and Bronner all on this in the studios of WNSP. Uh, we'll take your phone calls here in just a minute. You heard the voice a little earlier. Want to point out WNSP's team of the day. Our great partners over at Presley Roofing. George Spurlock joins us here on WNSP. George, I was a little hesitant about getting you on today. Wasn't sure if you were up for the whole talking thing. It, it, I had heard rumors and speculation, wild rampant speculation that you lost your voice. Yes, I did, but it is back in full force. Uh, I was really happy to go and support Mobile Christian at the Super 7 uh, state championships in Tuscaloosa on Thursday. I'm super proud of the Leopards for closing out a, a pretty magical season, 15-0, and um, 
proud of my great friend, uh, my favorite leopard, number 55, Bo Cagle, had a, you know, just a fantastic year. Um, so, yeah, I definitely lost my voice by about halftime, and so it was it was an amazing experience. But you, uh, you came back stronger than ever. All right, so uh, tell the fine folks out there about Presley Roofing. I know the holidays are coming up. No, there's never a great time to have to deal with your roof, but you guys can make it easy, easy peasy. Yeah, th this situation has actually happened twice last week. You know, the last thing people want to be spending their money on in December is a roof, and yeah. I understand that. But uh, uh, a couple times last week, customers called, had in a situation they had to have a roof. Uh, we were able to introduce them to Alabama Power's Smart Financing Program. So basically, if you have a good relationship with Alabama Power, as I said before, it means you pay your bill on time. Most likely, you can get approved to um, basically for them to finance the new roof. And so it works out for everybody involved. They'll give you a couple of options on financing. And maybe you're just going to go ahead and take that, get your roof done, make a couple payments. And then, you know, once you get past the first of the year, you get your good taxes tax return back or whatever, you know, you can always pay it off early and save that interest. So it's a great option for many of our customers over the last several years to use Alabama Power Smart Financing. All right, so if, if folks have questions, uh, what's the best way to get in touch with you guys at Presley Roofing? And uh, I should mention that George here talks to every single person at some point during this process when you call Presley Roofing. Yeah, call Miss Samantha. She's always ready to talk to you. She's she is the the, the great voice of Presley Roofing. Two five one four five seven sixty five ninety eight. Hey, have a great week. We appreciate everything you do. Uh, and it's uh, George Spurlock, Presley Roofing, WNSP's team of the day. Thanks, man. Thanks. Uh, so check them out at presleyroofinginc.com. That's Presley P R E S. L-E-Y, they do it all. Free roof inspections and estimates, comprehensive roof repairs, storm damage restoration, roof replacements, re-roofing, new roof construction, emergency repair services. They do it all. Give them a call. It's uh, Presley Roofing, WNSP's team of the day. Did you uh, catch Belichick Saturday? I uh, did not. I did. I, I thought it turned out pretty well. I mean, there's obviously varying opinions, but he certainly loosened up, as I expected he would. I thought he kind of stole the show. Uh, he and Corso, they go way, way back because Corso coached at the Naval Academy, which I had forgotten about. But uh, when when uh, Belichick pulled out the 1962 Navy helmet and put it on his head, I thought that was uh, that was cute. And then, of course, you know, Corso followed up with, with something. But, no, I thought it worked out very, very well. And Bill was I wouldn't say he's, uh, he was very funny or anything, but he was just, you know, he had stories and so forth, and uh, it was not the typical Belichick that you see at these press conferences. I think that's the first time I've ever heard anybody describe Bill Belichick as cute or anything associated no, with Bill. Put, no, putting the helmet yeah. on. He wasn't cute. Yeah. It was the helmet I on. I ain't judging. I'm just saying yeah, that. Yeah, when he pulled out, uh, he beat Corso by putting on that 62 Navy uh, helmet. And, and the questions were kind of general softball questions about, you know, what did he learn from his dad when, you know, his dad was with Navy and all that kind of stuff. So it wasn't like, you know, he was busting up the uh, panel with all kinds of jokes or anything like that. But he had some stories to tell. And I think he had one about Corso that was kind of interesting. So there were, it, I enjoyed it. I really did. I, it's what I thought it would be. Yeah, I know Herb Street had told McAfee the day before that they weren't going to have him on to talk about the Patriots or what, what all the problems the Patriots are dealing with. It was just an, it was, he was there to talk about 
Navy and those experiences. So I'm sure it was everything uh, Kirk said it was going to so be. So Kirk Herbstreet, in his book that I'm still reading, claimed that getting the job game day is like one of the highlights of his career. And he he said he'd do it for free, and he's embellished it. He's he's grown into it. It, it led to a gig on in the Saturday night game. He was doing Thursday night football. So then I read a comment, and I don't know if this is accurate or not, where he was on with McAfee and said that if McAfee left, he would follow and leave game day. I find that really hard to believe based on all that he has said about his life being, you know, the game day. Was that a true statement or was that something that was that is indeed what he said find that really hard to believe based on everything i'm reading about the success he's had and how he was given an opportunity he wasn't even expected to get the gig it was somebody else and somehow some way they decided he's the one that's going to get it back in the early 90s they gave him a chance he was unheralded he didn't really have any tv experience that he would now think about walking away because mcafee did uh they had a back and forth McAfee was talking about how he loves college football fans and their passion and all that, but I, he was taken aback by all the negativity that was thrown his way this season as uh, as a game day analyst. And so he was talking about whether or not he would continue to do it because he says he's just trying to bring a little positivity to everybody's life, blah, 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 it's blah. It's not like Herb Street needs game day at this and point. In, and then Herb Street said, well, if – he he basically dared him to step away. It's like because he credited he credited uh, McAfee with uh, how he now kind of conducts himself and approaches his three passionate projects, which are game day, Thursday night football, and Saturday night football. So he said, "If you're walking away, I'm walking away," which might have been a little theater, uh, but her, fear not, McAfee's not going anywhere. So therefore, Herb Street's not either. But uh, no, I, I seriously doubt he was going to walk away. You know, you want to you want to feel old. Go back and watch. I didn't finish it yet, but the '97 Heisman, the 30 for 30 that came on after the Heisman presentation, I watched most of it. How young was Herb Street and Corso back when they were calling that '97 Heisman year? Man, they they are babies. I mean, Herb Street was a baby. Um, but, yeah, I haven't finished watching it. There was some talk about that one in the app about how good it was. Um, did you Did you? Watch I did it? not see that, no. That was the big Peyton Manning, Charles Woodson, yes. Randy Moss. There are two things that I really want to watch this week before we get to Reacher on Friday, I think. One is what you're talking <laughs> about, the 30-30, and then there's supposed to be a documentary Thursday night on George Brett and some of the controversial moments of his great career. All right, so... Our director of programming over here, Lee Shervanian, has got three things for you to watch this week. George Brett, the 97 Heisman, and Reacher, Reacher on Prime. I'm all about some Reacher. All right, hour number three, Roger Hoover, a little uh, daily dose of fried deliciousness, and Matt Moscona, probably in that order. It's the opening kickoff. Here comes hour number three right here on the sports station, WNSP and WNSP.com.
This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all sports radio station, 105.5 FM, WNSP, and on the Sound of Mobile app. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim, Lee Shervanian, and Michael Brauner. The opening kickoff. Here are Mark, Lee, and Michael. And just like that, hour number three, 805. Thanks for hanging with us on this Monday edition. It's the opening kickoff, Mark, Lee, and Bronner. Some of the uh, headlines, the uh, Saints, the good news, they're tied for first. The bad news, Tampa has the tiebreaker. So Saints still have a lot of work to do with four games left to go. Uh, we found out the Dodgers spend more money than Live Golf does. They uh, shell out apparently uh, and again you know some of the figures may be a little distorted over 700 million dollars over 10 years that would be about 70 million dollars a year to sign Shohei Otani who can bat for him this year as a DH but he's not going to be able to pitch at least until 2025 and then in the next 30 minutes we'll talk to uh, Matt Moscona about Jaden Daniels getting the Heisman but right now we bring in uh, Roger Hoover from the Alabama Radio Network he had a very exciting call up in Canada, Alabama and uh, Purdue. And Raj, good morning. How are you this morning? Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, really great to be with you. Hope everything's going well. It is, and and I know you obviously were hoping for a win, but was this one of the more entertaining basketball games you've ever broadcast? Uh, it's among them. I wouldn't put it at the top, but it was a good one. Um, you know, Alabama got better in this ball game. I think that's the main takeaway is the NATO's has been searching for some defense from this group, uh, and even in the two losses they've had prior, uh, it had not been great defensive performances against Ohio State and Clemson, but in this ball game, uh, Alabama played some pretty solid defense, uh, even against uh, players like Zach Eady, who is really impossible to guard, as uh, the ball game kind of showed, especially if you're trying to uh, be physical with him. Uh, all the fouls that were called against Alabama trying to guard him uh, made it for a tough afternoon, and Purdue has uh, other scores, as we saw, like Braden Smith, who really emerged as the second half went along with the three-point shot, but uh, it was still a really good performance for this group, not only offensively with everything that Mark Sears was able to do, but you know, defensively against one of the most elite teams in college basketball, Alabama got a lot better in the case of that 40 minutes, so I thought it was a pretty positive step forward, not necessarily a moral victory, but again, for a group that had been searching uh, to kind of find its best basketball, find its best defensive basketball, because again, that's all really this coaching staff cares about is the defensive side of the ball. I think it was a good step in the right direction. Did Nadeau's have a case about the uh, disparity in fouls when he got hit with a technical? I think so. Um, and, you know, it was a case of Alabama started the game with seven fouls. Purdue only had one. Uh, and then the fouls evened up just a little bit before halftime. Uh, but then in the second half, uh, it was six fouls on Alabama, none on Purdue as Oates got that technical. And then after that, uh, I believe Alabama went nearly six, seven minutes without getting called for a foul after the technical. So, as the coach said, he doesn't like getting technicals. It did lead to two points for Purdue at a time when Alabama couldn't give up points, but I think he made his point really well. I think it was a perfectly timed technical foul uh, in a lot of aspects for Alabama because, again, the foul calls did change. Whether they're right or wrong is up to the officials, uh, but certainly it was really hard for Alabama, again, to guard Edie when you're getting fouls called after foul called uh, on Muhammad Waqid, Nick Pringle, uh, and so many times would be when one of them would come off the bench they were getting called for a foul within the first 20 seconds or so trying to just be physical and play normal basketball against somebody who uh, seemingly does not play normal basketball in the 
out of that heating. Kind of curious, uh, up in Canada, obviously basketball is not the big sport. Hockey is. What kind of a turnout? And, and was there a lot of noise in the building? Uh, it was loud. Uh, the turnout was mostly for Purdue. I think a lot of Purdue fans uh, made plans to go on this trip uh, to support Zach Eady in his hometown. Uh, he's from Toronto. And when this game was originally scheduled, uh, Alabama had Charles Bediaco on the roster, also from Toronto, before he elected to play a professional basketball. So that was kind of the genesis of this type of matchup uh, getting played in Toronto. But uh, I thought it was great. Uh, we played uh, not at the Raptors Arena, which I think was originally where they wanted to play this game. Uh, and then the in-season tournament had to keep uh, the NBA in-season tournament had to keep uh, the Raptors arena kind of available in case the Raptors uh, advanced some of those games over the weekend. Uh, so we played at the uh, Coca-Cola Coliseum, which was built in 1921, and it's the longtime home of the uh, top minor league team for the Toronto Maple Leafs hockey team, the Toronto Marlies. So uh, it was kind of a cool atmosphere to be in a really historic venue uh, where basically all the great Maple Leafs played uh, during their minor league time before they went uh, down downtown and uh, start for the Maple Leafs. Uh, but it was a great environment. Uh, it really was fun. And I think uh, Alabama enjoyed the trip outside of, of course, uh, the loss. But I think it was a good cultural opportunity. And, uh, again, just getting to play meaningful basketball games at this time of the year like Alabama is doing against not only Purdue but coming up uh, later this week against Creighton and then uh, next week as well against Arizona. I mean, what a terrific stretch Alabama has to really uh, get prepared for the gauntlet of the SEC season. And then what ultimately matters, March Madness. So let me ask you this. I know it's tough to speculate now because you got a long, long way to go. you got the whole SEC schedule. But does a game like this, a, a game between, let's say, you know, Purdue, Alabama, or, or Alabama, Creighton, does that give you hope when Alabama gets to the NCAA tournament that they can hold their own? Uh, it should, especially for the way Alabama was able to get off to a really quick start. Um, Mark Sears, you know, we can talk about Purdue's offense all you want, but uh, Purdue is also really known for great defense, and Alabama had a good offensive performance. Uh, and Purdue couldn't stop Mark Sears, even with uh, the good guards that they have, uh, with what he was able to do scoring-wise. Uh, so I think that was a really, again, positive step forward. And, again, defensively, this team got a lot better, especially to start the game. Uh, Zach Eady wasn't having much production early on. I think that's a really uh, good thing for Alabama to hang its hat on moving forward. So, uh, again, it's a group that is continuing to build as the season goes along. I think Nate Oates' teams have always kind of done that, uh, and that's what should make fans excited with the way they were, again, able to take a step forward against Purdue. Now let's see how these next two games go against Creighton and Arizona. And will they be at full strength? I know there's been a couple of injuries and so forth with uh, Alabama. Yes, Grant Nelson played you know, the entire game. Uh, he looked great after uh, he had a little bit of a leg issue after Arkansas State on Monday, but uh, he was able to practice on Friday, and then he was very productive in his time on the floor, knocking down three-pointers, uh, getting to the rim pretty quickly, and he also played some good defense in that game. Roger, how different of a game do you think this would have been had Charles Bidiaco stayed like you know many expected him to, especially when this game was scheduled originally? been a little bit different because Betty Ako provided the rim protection that Alabama has been looking to get and I think it's getting closer to getting with Muhammad Wagi as well as Nick Pringle uh, so I think that would have been the main difference and sure you would have had the storyline of Betty Ako getting to play in his hometown a lot of hometown sport just like Zach Eady had for Purdue uh, but it, you know it was a really good atmosphere it was a really a good test for this basketball team and uh, obviously this is an Alabama team that would be better with Charles Betty Ako on its roster but you know with the guy they have 
have, again, they're getting better at this time of the year. You know, Nick Pringle's being asked to play a role that he was not asked to play last year when you had Charles Bediaco on the roster. So it's good that he's getting this kind of experience. Mohamed Wagi, you know, the last three, three or so games in the starting lineup continues taking steps forward. And it just was kind of a tough game for him because uh, he and Nick Pringle got in foul trouble so early on, made it tough to really guard the way they want to uh, for the duration of the ball game against, again, a very tough player to guard in Zach Eady. Hey, Roger, great stuff, man. We always appreciate you coming aboard, man. Have a great weekend. Thanks for the time. You got it, guys. Thanks for having me on. That's Roger Hoover, Crimson Tide Sports Network. Uh, coming up, uh, Matt Muscoon is going to join us at 830. We'll talk some Heisman with uh, the ESPN Baton Rouge radio personality. We'll have some uh, chance for some Chick-fil-A for you as well today. And, of course, we have to get back to the whole Chiefs Buffalo debacle. Chiefs versus the world. I got a question. Because we've talked a lot about about this today. Is there anybody out there who sides with the Chiefs on this whole uh, officiating thing who isn't a Chiefs fan? Because I'd like to hear from you next. We'll do a scoreboard traffic and weather. We're going to open up the phones. But I want to hear from somebody that isn't a Chiefs fan that says, you know what, Patrick Mahomes... Andy Reid, they have a good point. You might be out there. We want to hear from you on the opening kickoff. Stay with us. Hi, this is Jake Peavy, MLB pitcher and Mobile, Alabama native. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP. Tylen Wallace from the 25. Tylen Wallace breaks out of a tackle, takes it down the sideline. He stays in bounds. He stays on his feet. He takes it all the way and ends the game. There are no flags. 8:21. Welcome back in. The opening kickoff continues here on the Sports Station WNSP. That was only the fourth time in NFL history that an overtime game has been won on a punt return. Uh, Tylen Wallace for the Ravens goes all the way to beat the Rams. All right, you guys can jump in on any and everything. We got an open segment here, 694-1055. As somebody in the app put out before we went to break, there there was no question Kadarius Toney was offsides. None. Like, there's no issue there. And I think more people are frustrated that the Chiefs feel like they've been wronged in some way. I get that they were disappointed. I'm disappointed for them. I'm not even a Chiefs fan just because it was an unbelievable play that just didn't happen because of a, of a penalty. But to, 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 to rant and rave about how the officials kind of screwed you. Well, you know, Mark, I think this goes back to a game or two also because they kept their mouths shut. They felt they were screwed the previous week on a pass play. So I think it's been building up. I, I, I think that, you know, it, it's the, the season has not been as successful as Kansas City hoped it would be. Right now they're struggling. Uh, right now they're in a position where they could go on the road for the first postseason game. And let's face it, you know, it, it's not the Kansas City Chiefs of yesteryear with Tyreek Hill and some of the great receivers they've had. It's all basically down to a couple of receivers who are okay, not great, and then, of course, Kelsey. So I think it's been building. I think it's one of those things where finally enough's enough in their mind, 
And so that's what I think led to this outburst. I just I don't feel like there's going to be a whole lot of sympathy around the league for one of the more successful franchises here in recent history. I just I just I just yeah, the more you see come off as crybabies. Yeah, well, the more you see uh, Mahomes and Reed doing commercials and you're like, hey, we're going to. We're not going to buy into this, you know. And so they both ranted and raved about the officiating. But, again, I think it's it's a, an accumulation of what went on the previous week and maybe even before that. And frustrations have just finally poured out. We listened to a little bit of that Mahomes audio from before. Let, let me read you this, this, uh, this full quote. It's tough to swallow, not only for me and football in general, to take away greatness like that. For a guy like Travis to make a play like that, you want to see the guys on the field decide the game. They're human. They make mistakes. But every week we're talking about something. It's the call, just in the moment, not for myself, to have a flag change the outcome of the game. I've never had an offensive offsides called. If it does, they warn you there wasn't a warning the entire game. And you make a call like that in the final minute, another game we're talking about the refs. It's not what we want for the NFL. It's not what we want for football. I mean, they're human. They make mistakes, but they didn't make a mistake. Look at the picture in the app. It was blatant. Yeah. He was standing in front of the ball. It's just, uh, there was social media. Such a weird soapbox to stand on. Social media uh, was really, really, in a sense, attacking Tony for being all sides. And there was all kinds of innuendos that watch out. You're going to be included in a Taylor Swift song down the road. Yeah, I have no doubt. Someone in the app said, uh, Mark, I was at the Saints game yesterday. Even when they were running, winning, every time Derek Carr steps on the field, audible booing. It was unreal. Then they would show Jameis on the Jumbotron and everybody would applaud. I always said the, the backup quarterback is always the most popular. Look, Jameis is better. I, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I'd go. I'd. I'd rather go Carr than go Jameis. Cause Jameis, Jameis will drop a a dime and you'll score on a sixty yard pass, and then he'll throw three interceptions. And Carr, you're like, dude, why are you throwing it? There's three people with the other jerseys. I believe, there. and I was listening on radio, so I I, I think uh, Deuce or maybe it was Mike Haw said that uh, the first time they got to the red zone and they didn't score, that there was booing going on. And the Saints have had their issues in the red zone this yeah. year. Oh, for sure. Uh, oh, that's when that's when the guy missed the field goal. At least yeah. Jameis isn't being paid one hundred sixty million dollars. Oh, so if we're gonna screw up, let's at least get a good deal on it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> people are saying, I don't know, man. I, I'm so done with Carr. I think Saints fans are starting to are. be too. I think I, and, I've been done with him since week one. Right. But. No. To be fair, you've been you've been on the Carr's overrated wagon uh, since it started. I think what what people are is. It's not just the way he plays; it's the way he reacts, and is it's the perception that he treats like so everybody whiny. else, like it's their fault. I don't know if that's a real thing, but that's certainly what it looks like. Uh, and so, when his offensive lineman got on him yesterday, I was like, "Hell yeah, tear into that guy!" I don't know what you're arguing about, but I like it absolutely. So, um, been folding under pressure lately. It's just ugly, ugly football. Yeah. Well, as Ross Jackson earlier said, though, there is some fight in this team anyway. So maybe that's a good thing because he said last year there was no fight in this team and they kind of like had nothing, no energy. He says at least it brings some fight to the team and apparently Dennis Allen's okay with it. Do you guys think the Panthers are worse today than they were early in the season? Probably. I think so. Yeah. They don't have much to go on right now. Right, but you would expect to build, and you, you may not win a whole lot of games, but you, you, would, you would expect to see some improvement. 
I think they're worse. Well, they certainly would Thankfully indicate that. Saints. Yeah, I think that would be indicate indicative of the stats that were produced you, yesterday. If we, if we played them ten or twelve times a year, you'd, you'd win them all. Woo-wee. I think the Saints are worse too, though. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. Bryce completed just thirteen out of thirty-six. He's among three quarterbacks who have thrown at least thirty-six passes who have completed no more than thirteen passes. It's the worst rating or one of the worst stats ever for an NFL quarterback. 137 yards in the air. Let's face it, he doesn't have all pro receivers to throw to. Uh, The running game is not very visible. So he's not surrounded like he was in Alabama with the great talent that Nick Saban surrounded him with. And it's apparent that he can't do it by himself. And then, of course, you have the head coach who was fired. So you have, like, an interim coach. So it's really gone downhill now for the Panthers. It's ugly. Here's the thing, though. The Bears are rooting for him to lose because the Panthers have the worst record. And the Bears get the uh, Panthers' first pick, which right now looks to be the number one overall pick. Yeah, I don't think they have to do much rooting. I think the Bears are going to have the number one pick. Fields looked okay yesterday. One of his, uh, I saw on on social media where there was a, he got into an argument with one of his guys. Yeah, I mean, he's the worst, and I can't stand him. But uh, it's just interesting if he goes on a little run here, what happens with him. I mean, the Bears are going to draft Caleb Williams, but what happens with Fields at that point? Uh, Well, the Saints could use some high price. Sure. Uh, (laughs) Run it back. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Matt Moscona's next. He was in New York for the Heisman. Stay with us. Chick-fil-A <laughs> I could eat there seven times a day Where the people laugh and children play Oh, I'm in love with Chick-fil-A Alright, it's 8.32 You waited long enough, boys and girls It's time for your daily dose of fried deliciousness What uh, what you got in store for the fine folks there, Lee? Jaden Daniels was the third LSU football player to receive the Heisman Call Michael Brauner right now, 694-1055, and tell him who was the first ever to receive the Heisman from the LSU campus. And on that subject, we bring in uh, Matt Moscona, uh, ESPN Radio in Baton Rouge. Matt, welcome back from uh, New York City. Good morning. How was your trip? Hey, guys. Good morning. It was it was great. And uh, the weather in New York City cooperated, and uh, it was beautiful and sunny and mostly in the 50s, but... Um, it was a. Uh, it was. It was a. Re- I didn't get to go in 2019 when Joe Burrow won it. Um, so it was really. It was cool to get to go see something that many of us all watch on TV our whole lives, and to get to kind of go cover an event like that is uh, one of the perks of the job. Was there any doubt in your mind that Daniels would win? No, because I mean, Lee, it's it's gotten to the point now, especially with mobile sports betting and the increased popularity of sports books. When you see the odds go the way that they did, it was evident how the vote was going to go. Um, and that's not to say that sports books can't ever be wrong, but I remind people of this all the time. There was a guy named Chris Hudson who um, ran a website called Heisman Pundit for years, and he would take straw polls of voters and every year would correctly predict the Heisman winner. Um, and the point that I made is if, if Chris Hudson could do that, at HeismanPundit.com, you better believe every sports book is taking, <laughs> taking accurate straw polls whenever they're putting out odds. So 
when Jaden got to minus 1,400 after that Pac-12 championship game, it, it was over. So, Matt, what is it uh, – what struck you as maybe different? Did anything surprise you seeing something like that in person after, for, after sitting there watching it on TV for years? I think what most people don't realize is how actually small and quaint it is. Martin Media is not actually allowed in – the, the the TV show itself, okay. and they moved it this year from um, uh, from four years ago when Joe Burrow was there. It was uh, at, at there was there was a little theater next to um, the Marriott Marquis in Times Square, and that's where they had it then. That theater, as I understand, shut down post COVID, so they moved it to the Lincoln Center, which is in you know Lincoln Circle over by Central Park, and um, it's beautiful, but. As I understand it, LSU, their their ticket allotment four years ago for Burrow was, I believe, 54 tickets. And keep in mind, that's coaches, family, yeah. everything. Yeah. Um, this year was 15, 15 tickets total. So <laughs> it was a very, very – it's a very small, intimate, quaint venue where it really is the Heisman winners, the, the players, their coaches, family – and like a few dignitaries, and that, that's it. It's a, it's a small, small deal. So uh, two questions. Why why are the media not allowed in? And then secondly, were there a lot of TV stations covering this event? Oh, Mark, I, or, or Lee, it's not that there's not a lot of the media aren't allowed in. I think it's, it's that they're producing a TV show, and it's just they have a very small space. So um, – the the Heisman Trust did a great job of being very accommodating to the media. Uh, the Marriott Marquis was the, the media hotel, and we had media availability with the candidates on Friday uh, afternoon, on Saturday before the ceremony, then Jane Daniels and uh, Brian Kelly immediately after the ceremony. So they they were. I don't want to uh, put it off as if they weren't accommodating. It's 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 almost like you know how. Um, you know, the the NCA or the SEC changed the rules where you're not allowed to, to if you're a TV station you can't shoot games anymore they they only want to distribute the the video from their TV partners yeah uh, it's it, I think it's similar to that they're just they're putting on a TV show and it's a very small uh, small location and they're just their TV partner is ESPN and they're broadcasting it and, and that's that's sort of that. You know, Matt, what's always kind of blown me away about the Heisman isn't the actual guys that are up there getting it, which is crazy, right? It's the collection of former Heisman winners that I was like, man, that's just that's just got to be so cool to be around. Was there a guy that walked by you or you walked by like, damn, I know that guy? Um, well, it was pretty cool at the uh, at the LSU through an after party for Jaden at a uh, at a restaurant nearby. And um, all the the former Heisman winners are, are invited. It was it was pretty cool to see uh, Mike Rozier eating a box of raisin canes just standing on the wall. <laughs> I mean, that, like that, you know those those kinds of things are interesting. And then even not only the former winners, but it, uh, this event does draw just a lot of dignitaries. I mean, I saw Steve Young just walking through the lobby of the Marriott Marquis as you know we were kind of he, he was coming off an elevator as I was going on. So yes, there is definitely that. If you love college football. It is a, a hub of all the greatest players in the history of college football. So Ricky Williams, who uh, who got in on Saturday, the day of the uh, the day of the ceremony. So yes, I mean I, I think one of the things this year that surprised me, it felt like there were fewer past winners there than what we've seen in the past. And guys, maybe one of the reasons I didn't realize this on on this past weekend in New York City, um, they they have something called SantaCon. 
And it's just basically like thousands and thousands of people running around New York City in Santa outfits. And Times Square, after the Heisman ceremony, I did a lot of walking this weekend because Ubers were impossible. Times Square felt like Mardi Gras. And, I mean, I'm not that, – that's not hyperbole. I mean, I've, I've been to Mardi Gras. I've been on Bourbon Street on Mardi Gras Day. Uh, it, it was almost impossible to move around Times Square. So I think maybe the crowds – this weekend in New York City, maybe keep some of the older guys away, too. Matt, what's the speculation down the road for Jaden Daniels as to where he might get drafted? Well, you know, all of the um, all of the, the draft pundits that we keep seeing more and more of are, are starting to – I'm starting to see mocks that have Jaden in the top ten. Um, I've seen him as high as seven to Tampa Bay. So, sorry, my, my little boy's getting out of the car. Bye, Drew. All right, buddy. Love you. Have a good day. <laughs> Sorry, guys. No, it's um, okay. It's all right. Um, so I, I've seen him mocked as high as, as seven. And, you know, I think what what is really going to benefit Jaden is when he goes to the Senior Bowl there in Mobile where you guys are and when he goes to the Combine and – he and I, I don't know if you guys agree with this, but I've always said the most important part of the combine and all that stuff is is the medical and the interview. They can watch game film forever, but when they get you in a room and talk to you, that's when they get to know you, and then they can check out the medical to see if you have any any history. When Jaden Daniels sits down in those interviews, he's going to blow people away. Like he he's if a team is wondering, is it safe to invest, you know, five years and forty million dollars, fifty million dollars into a player? Um, they're not going to have that worry with Jade. Now, there's always a risk associated with every draft pick, but he's going to ace those interviews, and and that's going to be the thing that I think really solidifies his status. As a top-ten pick, if we all agree it's Caleb Williams, Drake May, whatever the next team is that decides to pull the trigger on a quarterback, I think they're going to they're gonna pick Jaden Daniels. Do you, you brought up Senior Bowl. Do you know for sure that he's coming to Mobile for the Senior Bowl? I know that he's accepted the invite to play. So whether that changes between now and then, I don't know. My understanding, guys, I, I, and by the way, I do not know this, just to be very, very clear. I, I believe what he will do is not play in the bowl game. Uh, I think he will go back to California, work with his, his personal quarterbacks coach, and then um, uh, get ready for the senior bowl. Go, go there to Mobile, play in the Senior Bowl, then get ready for the for the combine. That's what I think he'll do. Probably what I think he should do, but it's, it's his decision to make. But, yes, long way to answer your question, Lee. I, I do think he is planning to play in the Senior Bowl. Appreciate that information. Now let's move on. What does LSU do to get a quarterback for next year, or do they have one? Well, they got Garrett Nussmeyer, and you know, Garrett's sort of one of those outliers, right? I mean, he's, he's stayed for four years now, and that's um, that's just not common in this day and age in college football. So I should say next year will be his fourth year. Um, but LSU is still pursuing a transfer. And they went in home with MJ Morris, who's a backup at NC State uh, last week. And it, it just makes sense because with the portal as a resource, if you don't use it, you're negligent. Uh, there's nothing wrong with LSU going to pursue someone that can either be someone to, to challenge Nussmeyer for the starting job or provide veteran depth. Consider this, guys. If Let's say they go into next year, they don't go sign a, a portal quarterback. If Garrett Nussmeyer turns an ankle, 
gets gets concussed the way that Jaden did against Alabama, um, gets sick, whatever, family emergency, whatever, could keep him away, then LSU's next quarterback is redshirt freshman Ricky Collins, who's, who's only taken a few snaps against Grambling. And then it's true freshman Colin Hurley. So it, with, with the rules being what they are with the portal, like why wouldn't you go add veteran depth of the most important position in team sports? So, yes, I think LSU will add a quarterback. I don't think, however, they're going to go spend seven figures to go add one of the top ten guys in the portal. How about their schedule next year? You open with Southern Cal, yeah. right? Set, the third game, I think, is UCLA. And then for our purposes here, uh, you entertain South Alabama. Uh, it, but, I mean, you got UCLA and Southern Cal from the Big Ten. You have Alabama. You got Florida. It's it's a dynamite schedule. A&M as well, and also Oklahoma. Uh, LSU play Oklahoma. And I, my understanding is that's going to be Thanksgiving weekend that, I, that I LSU play Oklahoma in Baton Rouge this year. So, um I love it. I mean, Lee, I've always said I I hate the cupcake body bag games. I think everybody should play an all power five schedule. Um, it's more it's better for the fans. It's more interesting to watch. No one actually cares to watch the the team the, the games where spreads are forty fifty points. Uh, those are nothing but money grabs. So yes, give me a game. Give me a schedule that looks like that now. Is that going to work to LSU's detriment? Maybe so, because it's a brutal schedule, and not every schedule is equitable in college football. But I'd much rather you go line it up, you know, 12 Saturdays playing interesting games, meaningful games, than you know, than just trying to trying to sidestep your way through a schedule to get to a playoff. But honestly, in the year of a 12-team playoff, it's probably a year where playing that schedule is going to benefit LSU. He's Matt Moscone. He joins us here on WNSP. All right, I got to ask, man, what, what's been the reaction to the college football playoff? It's been content gold for us. I was just curious, what's the reaction from your listeners over there in Louisiana? Uh, well, I mean, probably like it is everywhere in the country. I mean, I, I, the, I mean, everybody, of course, thinks Florida State got screwed, which they did. It's, it's impossible to imagine a scenario where you're an undefeated Power 5 champion you win every game you play, you beat two non-conference SEC teams, and you don't even have a chance to play for the playoff. And I don't know that I'm saying anything different, guys, than anybody else has already said, but, you know, if you're going for the best teams, well, Georgia should be in there, too. If it's just, hey, eye test, who's the best? And honestly, Alabama doesn't pass the eye test. I watched Alabama struggle against South Florida. I watched them lose by 10 at home to, to Texas. I watched them struggle against Arkansas, where Arkansas needed one stop at half the field to go try to tie or win that game at the end. That was a 1-7 team in the SEC. I watched Alabama two weeks ago against Auburn, need a 4th and 31 you know, to, to beat a 6-6 a six and six Auburn team. I mean, Alabama didn't pass the eye test this year. They had a great win against Georgia. That's undeniable. But you can't sit there and objectively tell me that Alabama passed the eye test for 12 weeks. They didn't. Uh, Georgia did. So if you're going with best, Georgia should be in there as well. But they're not. It's, the, it's why it's a flawed system. I'm so glad we're going to flush this thing down the toilet and be done with it after this year, and we can actually have some semblance of what looks like a real playoff because a real playoff should include Alabama, and it should include Georgia, and it should include Florida State. If you win a Power 5 league and you, you have a great year, like you should have a chance to go play in the playoffs. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm – I'm as frustrated, I think, as anybody because I've been yelling about this for years. 
and, and we all hold up this quote-unquote sacred college football regular season on a, on a pedestal, and it's a pile of garbage. College football's regular season is meaningless. It's the only sport in the history of mankind where you can win every game you play and not even have a chance to play for a championship. And that, that's, that's no championship. So I'm, I'm glad this is the last year we'll ever have to have this conversation. And for everyone who says, well, next year you'll be complaining about Team 13, 14, 15, I have far less sympathy for a 9-3 and three team from the Big 12 than I do an undefeated Power 5 champion that's not even going to get an at-bat. Do you like the format, Matt, with the uh, four buys and then the home field for the next four? Sure. I, I, Lee, I wanted 16. Uh, I'd take 32. I think Mike Leach had it right. I, I want a real playoff. We do it in every other sport. Why can't we do it in football? Everyone comes up with excuses about logistics and TV and travel and fans, and it's just garbage. I mean, how can they do it in the FCS, but they can't do it in the Power Five? It's just dumb. But, yes, if it, if you, if you're if we're going to do 12, I'll take 12. Four, two was better than allowing sports writers to decide it. Four is better than two. 12 is going to be better than four. Maybe we get to 16 one day. Maybe we go beyond that. But, yes, I'm perfectly fine with, with 12 because 12 is better than what we had. Uh, Matt, do you feel um, – this is my segue. Do you feel that the winner of the NFC South should make the playoffs in the NFL? <laughs> yes, because, uh, because unlike college football, Mark, these yeah. are all NFL teams, all with professionals, all with a salary cap, all spending the same amount. And this is a terrible division, but it happens every year. Yeah. Every year some, one division is going to be the worst division in football. So yes, you you should you, you should be rewarded for winning your division. Look, I have no sympathy. I watched the Saints in 2010 have to go on the road to play as as the defending Super Bowl champion have to go on the road to play a seven and nine Seattle team, and they got beast quaked. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's the NFL, man. Yes, of course, you win your division, you you should be in the playoffs. Matt, we always appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Uh, glad you had a great trip, man. It, it looked like it was a lot of fun. We, uh, we'll, we'll talk again soon. Fire Dennis Allen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're on it, sir. <laughs> Bye, guys. Later. Did, did you see, I think it was uh, uh, the uh, NFL Network show, The Red Zone, where they actually played the uh, locker room after the game with Dennis Allen among the Saints. Uh, they went into the locker room, and Allen was doing this and this and the praising this and this and that and telling his team what a great game they played and how he was convinced that, see, you, you, you get together, and this is what happens. Yeah. Um, He's not a firebrand by any means. Yeah, it's, it's just tough to watch. I'd be surprised if he's there at the end for next year. All right, well, we just wanted to let you guys uh Soak in all of that. We will have a final segment for you to chime in if you'd like. We'll set the table for tomorrow's show as well. It's the opening kickoff. Mark Lee and Bron right here on Sports Station WNSP. Hi, this is Dan Jennings with the Washington Nationals, and you're listening to WNSP Sports Radio 105.5. a lot of grounds today a reminder in about 10 minutes like eight minutes ryan williams is holding a press conference to sarah landstead we'll uh we'll certainly recap that tomorrow among other things i'm assumingly assumingly 
Yeah. For sure. No, assuming. Assumingly. Rightly. I'm assuming, that. comma, Lee. Lee. Yeah. That was that was my segue for you to tell us. I what you realize got that we've still got a lot of irons in the fire. We haven't really established too much for tomorrow. We always have Travis Ryer with us. We promised uh, Jerry Palm of Purdue One we'd play the Boilermaker fight song for him tomorrow. I don't know if I can do that. There was bad refing. <laughs> you could say that about any athletic event if you want. So Muhammad Wagi had his jersey ripped, and somehow the call, the foul was called on him. I mean, and the referees were so bad they called offensive offsides on the tide against Purdue in that basketball game. I was livid. And you should be. That's Zach Eady, man. God, he's annoying. From the standpoint, are you impressed by him? No, or no, I'm not impressed by him. He's just a big oaf. There's nothing wrong with being a big oaf. We should be in the NBA. How I wonder how he would do in the NBA. Centers are not exactly... They're kind of like an endangered species in the NBA. You don't have very many. Most of this, the, the big guys play outside and shoot threes now. Well, I'll tell you, Lee. If he was an NBA player, he'd be in the NBA right now. Uh, he was the National Player of the Year last year and chose to come back to school for like a fifth year, so yeah, I mean that could, tells you all you need to know. Could that be about NIL money though, keeping him there? No, no. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he's making fine NIL money, but you know, it's not, it's not remotely compared. I mean, look at Charles Vidiaco. His love for, for Purdue example. didn't keep him there. No, no, he's not. He's there because he's not an NBA player. God, man, <laughs> just stands in the paint and gets fouled. It's a good strategy. Yeah, it's not bad. Maybe it works all. for you. The big monster from Purdue. Would you say the same thing if he was playing for Alabama? I don't know if that would uh, that would work at Alabama. He's an interesting player. What do you have, 35 points, I think, the other night? You know what uh, did impress that. me about him? He shoots free throws pretty well. Now, I will concur with you on that. He is an impressive for free throw shooter. For a guy at shooter. seven, what yeah. is he, seven four, seven yeah. three? he shoots free throws. He shoots free throws exceedingly well for a guy of his size. It is impressive. All right, so... Uh, before we get out of here, and you guys have a chance to inform a poll here in the last two minutes, because I think Ron and I disagree on if you have to choose between Derek Carr and Jameis Winston as your Saints quarterback, who are you going with right now? Carr. Jamo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not jumping off Carr's bandwagon. I said that prior what? to the season. I was of all the quarterbacks out there, and again, out there, I thought Carr would be the best fit. I didn't realize. I'm not jumping off the bat. I yeah. mean, I'm jumping off. I'm just not jumping on yeah. the, the, the Winston. Winston. Well, I, I didn't realize. <laughs> it's a fun one to be on. I didn't realize <laughs> Join that he, me. he was so vocal uh, and, and gets so emotional, you know, during the games, which obviously he has. Things haven't actually been that great with the Saints offense at all. There's a, as, as you watch the games, they have issues in the red zone. Uh, they may have a great drive, and all of a sudden they go to sleep on offense. It's not a very impressive offensive team, but. I'd stay with Carr over Winston right now. Nah. I'd go. Uh, the offense is broken either way. Let's yeah. go with the more fun option. So well, how about Hill? You want to go, go with Hill? Go I Hill. say we go Hill That's as fine. QB1 and Kamar in the Wildcat QB2. That, you, you know go. what? Fine by me. I'm just about sick and tired of Derek Carr. Yeah. You know, six screens in my house and, like, the Saints are the least mo watchable game. Just tells you what you need. I tell you. Oh, okay. How about the Minnesota Raiders game? Was that on your screen? Yeah, it was three nothing. Uh, yeah, it's ugly football in the NFL these days. I don't know Maybe what it Tom is. Tom Brady was right. I honestly like, kind of, kind of. Scoring is down. Offensive line play is down. 
Quarterback play is down. Just a lot of ugly football this season. And I'll season. tell you one of the reasons why. Too much movement. Too much movement. Too much movement. Players coming and going, and quarterbacks are an endangered species. I think there was like 10 yesterday, 10 rookie quarterbacks. Oh, no, 10 backup quarterbacks who played yesterday. And then tonight, uh, the Giants, your boy DeVito, he's a backup. He'll be playing. My boy DeVito. Yeah, you're. A, aren't you a Giants fan? No. <laughs> You know I'm not a Giants fan. <laughs> no, DeVito, that's Mark's guy. Mark's guy, DeVito. Yeah, DeVito. That Apparently name. he is now. Yeah. I was not aware, but okay. Well, we brought up the name when you were talking about Joe Pesci. You know, DeVito. Right. Sure. Okay. Is there one game or two games tonight? Two. And they go simultaneously, and I think the Manning cast is on tonight, too. So you got two different games, same time, different stations. And then you have Mannings. By the way, I was going against this Cowboys kicker last night with a playoff spot on the line in fantasy. Guy put up 23 points yeah. as a kicker. And a 60 and a 59-yard field goal. Yeah. And now he's, I, he's 30 for 30. Hey, talk about your 30 to 30. Now I need a Tua Tyreek miracle to make the playoffs tonight. You might get it. We'll see. All right, that does it for another edition of the opening kickoff. We're back at it tomorrow at 6 a.m. Thanks for hanging with us. Until then, see ya. Spit is all